welcome to the show. I'm Alistair Stevens. And I'm Lonnie Diane Rich. And this is Dusted. You're, hey, California, that's not what snow looks like. Buffy the Vampire Slayer podcast. California. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> let me tell you. From up here in the frozen north. Yes, exactly. Not so much what snow looks like. <laughs> we know from snow. It does look like an explosion in a cotton ball factory. It does. What My theory is this. Okay, That in the theory. background during this episode, the mayor was doing something with a cotton demon. A cotton and, demon. And the, the cotton, cotton golem. A cotton golem that was, you know... I don't know, he owed a favor to or whatever, and Mr. Trick just went and exploded him all over the place. Right. And that that's what blocked out the sun and fell all over Sunnydale, or the the so various argue, viscera of the cotton ooh, evil that was on sure, the helmet. Sure, that, that, that does sound horrifying. Yes, and it does. albeit a very subtle and cuddly kind of way. <laughs> and your argument then would be that the weatherman on TV is in the mayor's employ? Yes. Uh, it's a sudden snowstorm. It's a- don't Snowstorm. go outside. That's what it is. That's what no it is. No one in California has heavy boots. Don't exactly. go outside. It would be a terrible it's swamp thing. gas. That's what it is. <laughs> it's a weather balloon <laughs> it's and a swamp weather balloon and, and a swamp gas in a snowstorm. Don't look directly at it. Don't look at it. As you can tell, we're yes. clearly going to have a lot of fun with this week's episode, <laughs> Amends, the 10th yeah. episode of Season 3 and Joss Whedon's return to form. He is back after the season premiere and yeah. mm-hmm. it's been 10 episodes since it's he last showed It's been a little while since we've hung out Here with Joss. he is writing and directing again. And this, I think, is not just a pivotal episode, mm-hmm. not just an episode which is hugely important to the mythos of Buffy. Oh, yeah. But this is a particularly divisive episode amongst the fans of the show i think it leaves you hot or cold upon (laughs) one kind of stunning piece of of authorial audacity Mm -hmm. the degree to which that authorial audacity is successful of course will vary yeah Yeah. how does it work for you you know i have to say i have never really enjoyed this episode I've always found it. The angel flashbacks for me have never been really terribly engaging. So when we open an episode with an angel flashback, it's like it's starting at a deficit for me and then has to make up for it. That's true. So, so for me, I I have always been kind of just left cold by it. Um, like a, a sudden snowstorm. Like example. a sudden, a sudden a a cotton demon just being exploded (laughs) all over my head. Um, so I don't know, but at the same time, though, moment to moment, some of my favorite moments of all time are yeah. in this episode. Yeah, mine too. So it's, it's a really weird experience for me because, again, like I remember an episode based on whatever the monster of the week is, whatever the memorable thing about the monster of the week is. And a lot of times in my memory, I judge an episode based on how much I liked that, you yeah. know, um, and, uh, and forget about those moment to moment things. Well, because oftentimes the long form storytelling, yeah. the moment to moment stuff, the character stuff, they can kind of blur across episode lines. So you remember, right. oh, I like Willow in early season three, exactly. or I like Xander in late season six, but you don't remember in the which specific episode the specific episodes where those occur. great moments right. were. So it's it's kind of a, a different thing. I think that's part of the reason, honestly, why I liked Reptile Boy so much. As much as we come back, I don't think we've had an episode where we haven't mentioned Reptile Boy, um, and and the horrible <laughs> thing I did by putting it a little higher up than it should have been. Um, but I think I think it's because I re- that was my first kind of experience of remembering a monster of the week poorly, you know, that I didn't really like it, and then coming in and seeing all the great stuff that was in that particular episode that I was surprised about, and it made me feel better about that episode. Yeah. Now I'm kind of used to that. <laughs> so so even though I like a lot of there are a lot of moments in this episode that I absolutely love, over the whole it doesn't 
really land for me. And I think that it's going to be a really interesting conversation about why it lands so well for you it and not really, really well for me. does. I've never, also, I've never really been a huge fan of this episode. Yeah. I knew it was an interesting one, you know, as we mm-hmm. sat down to watch it this last week. I knew that this was the one where we have the first evil and we spend a lot of time on Angel. And it's a very fragmented kind of disassociated very character driven piece of work watching it this time and watching it as carefully as we do for the episodes of dusted i really liked it i really liked Mm -hmm. it and that i think is because we all come to buffy for slightly different things you know some people are xander people and they just love xander storylines and some people are faith people and if faith is in an episode they'll fall in love with it forever and that'll be that for me one of the things that i love most about buffy is the the philosophical crunch yeah. that's at the heart of the show. Mm-hmm. And this is, by by leaps and bounds, the most confident and assertive piece of philosophical work that Buffy's done to date. Yeah, There's more in this episode about, you know, the nature of good and evil, about the, the nature of the universe itself mm-hmm. than we've had for the last two and a half seasons yeah. combined. There's of, a lot of that. Mm-hmm. There's a ton of crunch. So it speaks very directly to me. Right. I also love all the character work. I also love the way that it's all fitted together. And this is, you know, I'm I'm not a huge fan of Christmas episodes. Right, yeah, I me either. I find Christmas yeah. episodes to be a little light and a little saccharine and yeah. a little, you know, a little trivial. And you play like twinkly sleigh bells under something <laughs> and it makes it seem magical and evocative. Well, I have to say, though, one of the things that I did like about this Christmas episode was all the dead Christmas trees. <laughs> I have to say that I felt like that was a little bit, a that little bit, it is, took away some of the saccharine for me. So such a mechanical beat. Yes. I kind of like it. Yeah. And that's one of the weird things about this episode is uh-huh. even when the writing, I would hesitate to say falters because yeah. this is still Whedon. You yeah. Know? He's still at the very top of his game. Even when the writing is a little conspicuous, mm-hmm. even when it's a little clumsy and leaden, it's the right kind of clumsy and leaden for me. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I can't say it's flawless, but I can say that these are flaws. It's the perfect match of flaw enjoy. for me. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> So let's get into our beat by beat breakdown, and All we can right. hopefully come to some kind of consensus about I know where that's this episode be tough goes. Pulling on the big that on the ranking, of every episode maybe ever. you'll change my mind throughout the beat by beat. You never let's know. Find it's out. been known to happen. We open in the previously on Buffy the Vampire Slayer segment. We get a reminder of Angel's death and return. A reminder of Jenny Calendar. Uh-huh. It's been so long since we talked about her, but we <laughs> don't weirdly get much mention made of Willow and Xander. Uh-huh, because we're dealing yeah. with the fallout of that throughout this episode, more from Willow's perspective than Xander's perspective, perhaps. Mm-hmm. Though the degree to which the fallout from his indecorous conduct with Willow influences Xander's behavior in this episode is certainly a point of discussion. No, for that is going to be that is going to be an interesting point of discussion. Because this I is one of say. those episodes where you feel like if you look carefully, you can kind of construct an entire arc for Xander that's happening entirely off screen. I think this is He's the episode. He's just a whole thing. No, but this is the episode where Xander becomes my Xander. I think so Becomes too. the Xander that I remember. Um, and I'm going to find it interesting to see if he falters back into the Xander that so many people have, have but really, you know, kind of fairly criticized throughout the beginning of the series. Even if he falters after this, though, he is still in this episode. I think he is fundamentally changed by this experience, even so though we don't really see it on screen. And I find that kind of fascinating. So we can backfill some of yeah. that. And we'll certainly we'll, we'll talk about mm-hmm. Xander. We'll talk about Willow at the end of the episode. Yeah. But we open on Dublin in 1838, though God knows you wouldn't know it from Netflix. 
I was looking into this. This is a weird platform-wide problem yeah. with Netflix. If you're watching the streaming versions of this and you're watching the streaming versions when this episode of Dust It goes yes. live, they may repair this a month if from now. If you're listening to this 10 years from now, who knows what you're dealing with? But back but in the... yeah, all of the location captions in Buffy are gone. Mm-hmm. And much more weirdly and conspicuously, all of the location captions in episodes of The X-Files are missing. Those location captions in the X-Files are one of the most distinctive things about the look and feel of that show. How in the and they're world all is gone. that I don't even gone. know how you would strip those because out because they surely you'd can't be layered on. have to do more work yeah. to strip them out. You would think so. But it's funny. I've been watching the X Files on uh, on Netflix and had not noticed that the uh, the oh, maybe they have been gone. replaced. Maybe since they're maybe the, they're the back because I could I swear I, no I idea, just saw but, them. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, it is kind of an interesting uh, an but interesting quirk of the streaming which, experience. Let's you fill in a little bit yourself. You know where and when right. these events take exactly place. sometime because in the past Dublin in eighteen thirty eight. That's fine and all, yeah. but this is a Dickensian snow scene. For me, this is London in like 1885. Exactly. <laughs> this is much later and, and right. much more English. Uh, but in Dublin in 1838, a man runs through the streets in this Dickensian midwinter, only to be grabbed and dragged into an alley by Angelus, fully vamped out, rocking a Van Dyke, <laughs> and possessed, I have to say, all credit to David Boreanaz, uh, a much better Irish accent. Than He's last time. working on it. He really is. He's working. On it. What I'm wondering Still though, good. Apparently, it takes 240 years to yes. go from whatever accent you're born with to <laughs> sounding like a California dude. Um, because in his, you know, in his like regular life now, do you? I mean, I guess I don't know. Like, I I don't know if I can lose the the hint of New York. I'm that's the wrong person to ask. Way. It took me about 25 minutes. Oh yeah, exactly. <laughs> you sound less and less Scottish. <laughs> more time you spend in America (laughs) exactly (laughs) unless we're talking about Outlander then all of a sudden it comes out despite this man's desperate prayer though Angelus tells him that he should be of good cheer it's Christmas he bites him and we cut to Angel our Angel waking from a nightmare it's a bold start yeah I generally like you don't care about Angel's flashbacks I generally like (laughs) you don't like when Buffy descends into costume drama. Because yeah. here's the thing. Mm-hmm. You have to know your limitations. And we're going to talk about this at the end of the episode when we talk about the snowfall. Mm-hmm. Know your limitations. It's why you don't order you fried clams do. at IHOP. Right, exactly. Right. <laughs> there are, there are certain things, things you can you do. do. There are right. things that are within your wheelhouse. Mm-hmm. And there are things that you can't do. There are things that are technically impossible. There mm-hmm. are things... And the biggest problem with Buffy, of course, is that it was made on a network TV budget. Right. And this was a particularly splashy and spendy episode. Right. In terms of in terms of Buffy's production. Mm-hmm. So the costume drama sets, they never look right because they're closed sets. They don't look yeah. like the rest of the show. They don't look like a real place. Mm-hmm. And we're going to encounter the same problem or a related problem with the snowfall in the street right at the end of the episode. Yeah, we do have some problems with that. I think, though, I have to say out of and, and throughout, you know, the run of without, you know, too many spoilers throughout the run of Buffy and Angel, we do spend some time in Angel's history. We've gone back before and this is not the last time we'll yeah. we'll see little clips from from his background. And I never like them. I never enjoy them. I'm usually bored by those stories. Second- this circumstance, though, I think is in this circumstance, I feel like the story that they're telling is heavily woven into Angel's entire history. Oh, yeah. No. So I think that in this particular instance, and in some 
instances in the future. I feel like it's it's less self-indulgent than in other times that we see oh, no. it. It's, it's much more narratively purposeful yes. within the frame mm-hmm. of this episode, absolutely. It, it's still the, the production lets it down. I think the second flashback right. sequence, the one that takes place inside the country mm-hmm. manor, whatever right. that, that house mm-hmm. is, that is much more successful because they're not trying to make a street scene Look like a real look street like scene. A, exactly because yeah. it's Downtown just not Sunnydale believable. Is bad mm-hmm. enough. As exactly. said, it doesn't look like a real place that has ever existed. Yes, but when you're dressing a set to look Dickensian, or you're stopping mm-hmm. by the next lot, I don't even know where Buffy was shot for most of its oh, run. Right, but whatever mm-hmm. was was being produced on the next lot, you head over there, you dress it up with Dickensian paraphernalia, and you shoot there for a mm-hmm. day. It doesn't quite work it right. looks it looks like the stage play version of, of it, Buffy it really does and it calls attention to itself it kind of kicks you out of the story a little bit when you're when you're seeing that and it doesn't quite feel yeah. right or real and i feel like if they had taken some sort of memory style visual uh license to thing, make right? it a little more a little less realistic and more filtered through memory um that that been, might have done something with it we've been watching veronica mars yes. for our our recent, a recent addition yes, <laughs> to our podcast to stable. We used to be friends. Yes. And uh-huh. one of the great things that Veronica Mars does is that when it trades in flashbacks and memories and recollections yeah. and stories, it applies a consistent visual language to those sequences. Yes. So that we get a sense that this is somewhat disassociated in time. You know, we right. have swimmy camera work, or we have mm-hmm. a monochromatic filter, and we or a we little blow haze. out all the lights. Right. And the you know, we, mm-hmm. we have a, a certain style to those sequences. And there's kind of yeah. an echo to the sound if and you all did of that. Here, it would work it would it would minimize i think some of the effect of the Although, of, <laughs> i guess you can't do that here you have to do it throughout buffy yes you no you'd have to do it anytime there's yeah. a, and once you've already they've already established the visual language of the flashbacks um so there's which really is, which is nothing because which is, they're constrained by right. these sets the visual language of the flashbacks is oftentimes more kind of formal and yeah. more traditional television it's more like you know pbs costume drama right than the rest of buffy so, yeah yeah so it's, it's, it's kind unfortunate of a, but you have to get past it that you know? said in the hierarchy of angel flashback sequences this is pretty solid i mean his uh, accent yeah. is better mm-hmm. the cost Costuming is is better. It's mm-hmm. less theatrical. Right. The guy who plays Daniel has is this very immediate vulnerability. Mm-hmm. You're right. completely convinced when he starts to pray. That's a very kind of. We're, we're going to have to talk a lot about Whedon and religion, Whedon yeah. and theology in mm-hmm. a broader sense, um, and and Whedon's unsophisticated take on you know the formalized doctrines of theology right. he has a fair a great deal of enthusiasm but not a great deal of education yes i think mm-hmm. in this stuff mm-hmm. uh, which doesn't or at least at this from, point you know yeah, yeah. yeah mm-hmm. which doesn't preclude him from from talking about it meaningfully thematically right. mm-hmm. he can engage with this material but we don't have many explicit mm-hmm. you know christian references beyond those explicit christian references that are associated with vampire mythology exactly your holy mm-hmm. water your crucifixes mm-hmm. your, your you know consecrated ground and so right. on but to have a character pray mm-hmm. when he's in the grip of a vampire, that feels to me to be something, you know, there's a slightly different texture there. Did you did you feel that? Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. A little bit. Yeah. It feels more like a um what we have now is a mystical uh use of Christian symbols as mm-hmm. symbols, not yeah. as true theology meaning philosophy. We don't come at it from that perspective. So to see somebody utilize uh something of that, you know, of that nature in a way that is deeply personal, deeply philosophical, that is not about the mysticism, but rather about the uh the role of, you know, of regular religion in, in the lives of people yeah. who just, you know, live regular non paranormal lives. Um, 
I thought that was kind of an interesting, it, it gave it a different tone. Yeah. It was different from when they have these little things of holy water or when they hold up a cross because it has absolutely nothing to do. They're not talking about religion at those times. Those are no, just because, merely iconography. Yeah. Those are symbols. Um, and uh, and now we have a moment where we have a religious character who has, uh, who has utilized that, yeah. you know, um, no, it's, it's in, in a stuff. very real world way, in a way that anybody, you know, now in a, in a bad position might turn to prayer. You yeah. know, so yeah, no, it, it's I, kind of interesting. I completely agree. I think it works yeah. really rather well mm-hmm. within those bands yes. that we've described. <laughs> Let's move on though, because we're 15 minutes into this podcast and we've only covered the opening, the opening scene. scene. Sunnydale is celebrating the coming holiday with all the density and the vocal enthusiasm <laughs> that you would expect from people who are surprised to make it to another major <laughs> holiday. There's a common refrain in Sunnydale. Today isn't the first day of the rest of your life. Today is the last day of your life. (laughs) Make it count. Angel bumps into Buffy downtown, and there is some festive awkwardness, including Buffy's claim that she's heading to the magic store when she is clearly walking in the opposite direction, (laughs) which leads me to believe that there must be at least one other magic store in Sunnydale. Uh huh. She's doing her Christmas shopping, and that's just basically a tour of all the magic stores getting stuff for Willow. Well, here's the thing, though, because mm-hmm. the one magic store uh, owner was recently eaten uh, by Spike, that so that store is probably closed for a little while out of respect for the very recently dead. And then there might be like a satellite <laughs> you can't run a shop business in Sunnydale if you're going to close just because someone just died. because someone died. No there one are will ever make public it. Public services exactly. that would just fall apart. <laughs> No, you're right. That's an interesting yeah. point. I hadn't thought of that. The magic box is probably closed right now. Uh-huh. So yeah, there's another magic store. In town, yeah. Which makes sense because we know that there are two. Presumably the magic box didn't open after uh-huh. the other magic store. I think they just trade off and on. <laughs> Don't run a magic store in Sunnydale, guys. It's it's not a good idea. Not a good investment. But I have to say something about this that, that got my attention and uh and it makes me feel very much like a girl. But Buffy's banks are weird. Buffy's banks know, are very weird in this episode. Here. It wasn't until much, much later in the episode. Yeah. There's a scene when she's in one of the scenes in the library when she's talking with Giles. Yeah. And, and she's just framed in such a way that they're really conspicuous. She has it's this tiny, weird, short yeah. little fringe that half of the time is gone. Like half of the time they just comb it into the rest of her hair and make it look like it's all long. But every now and again, they pull out this tiny little, I mean, super short fringe. Yeah, I'll be watching that next week to <laughs> see if it's, if it's still around. But it's, it's a, weird a little hairstyle. weird. It was it's a weird choice. choice. Yeah. And it made her look different in a way that was. You know, just kind of, I don't know, there was something about it that just felt very non-Buffy to me. <laughs> some reason, Buffy with bangs. To the details no, week. I got to tell you, I got to tell you, that threw me out. I was like, what is up with her bangs? So here we get this moment of interaction between Buffy and Angel, which is really rather nice. It's it's There's a mm-hmm. nice distance, but also an intimacy between them. I yes. think they manage it very mm-hmm. well. The chemistry between the two of them is just getting better and better mm-hmm. as we progress through the series as each character grows in complexity yeah the points of intersection you know in in their relationship become more interesting and more complex and more varied and i think that you know david boreanaz has to carry a lot of the weight of this episode mm-hmm. and i have to say that while we may have been critical about some of his performances and certainly some of the th- stuff yeah. that he's been given to do in previous episodes, mm-hmm. I think he's astonishingly good in this episode. I think he yeah. really carries it. Yeah, I think that when, you know, because no spoilers, everybody knows Angel goes off into his own, uh, you know, we've talked about it. He the, has a the show, episode. yes. There's a show called <laughs> Angel out there. Um, but I think that we see a lot in season three what he can do 
yeah. um, and and what makes him able to carry you know five seasons of of Angel after he leaves Buffy. Oh yeah. Um. So yeah, I mean, I think that he's actually as much as you kind of look at him and think, eh, you know, meathead. Um. He's actually really you know a pretty good actor. He yeah. does some yeah. he does some really fine work throughout the stretch of this uh of this yeah, story it's, world. It's unfortunate mm-hmm. that he is introduced to the Buffy universe in yeah. the way that he's introduced because yeah. he's not given anything functional or interesting or complicated to do in the first season he's just brooding he's and just brooding, yeah. mm-hmm. despite what you know teenage girls will tell you is not an interesting character trait no it's it's really not rochester <laughs> on the moors has limited right. appeal <laughs> exactly right exactly right so when angel sees daniel hanging out in the middle of the street he is visibly shaken and it is compelling buffy asks what's wrong and we cut to credits at school the next day oh one of the things i want to try and keep track of here yes. is how many days pass because we're constantly talking about christmas coming yeah and we're constantly talking about this christmas eve dinner that buffy is going to have yes but there are more days contained within the span of this episode than really makes sense to be contained within the span of this episode oh okay because yeah, we I hadn't keep really thought cutting about that. to mm-hmm. angel mm-hmm. waking out of a dead slumber you know we keep cutting and right. presumably each of those is a different day well or he might just be taking a lot of naps <laughs> It is exhausting being haunted by a paranormal universe. It At really is. school. The next day, Buffy is catching Willow and Xander up on the latest Angel-related news. Willow advises that she go to Giles, but Giles has some issues with Angel and leave it to Xander to once again be the one who brings up Jenny Calendar. You would think that Xander had had a thing with Jenny Calendar. I had a note in my notes <laughs> saying exactly. I am starting to think that there is something between Xander yeah. and Jenny Calendar, or was something between Xander know, and Jenny Calendar. He had a crush on the praying mantis, and Jenny Calendar was prettier. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Buffy is trying her hardest to stay away from Angel, but all she wants is a nice, quiet Christmas vacation. And somehow, she says that, and we cut to the next scene without the school exploding, or Spike showing up, or the Hellmouth opening. Just when you think they're gonna zig, what do they do? They zag. She dodged a bullet. Uh, that's all there is to that's it. right. You don't walk around Sunnydale saying, all I want all is a I nice, quiet Christmas. All I want is nice, Christmas. quiet, exactly. It's <laughs> begging it. Buffy is planning Christmas with Joyce. Willow reminds everyone that she's Jewish, and Xander tells a sad story about sleeping outside to avoid his drunken family, though that last part is a detail supplied helpfully by Cordelia, who is planning a Christmas spent skiing in Aspen. Willow is forgiving of Cordelia's chilly departure, what with it being her fault and all. <laughs> and speaking of which, now is a good time for Oz to show up. We're going to deal a lot with Oz in this episode. Yes. And it's a good Oz episode. Let's take a moment to respect Cordelia. Yes. She is leaving this episode now. That's I it. Know, She's done. I know. That's all she had to do. She showed up. She got her one scene. She got to come in. She got to exposit a little bit about Xander's family life, which my understanding is, I think this is the first time we've gotten that much information yeah, about yeah. what his home life is like. Yeah, we've inferred from... There's been a little bit, but nothing quite that dark. Yeah, no, certainly nothing. Uh, nothing in the, in the, that the his category family of is, drunken family arguments. No, yeah, drunken family that he sleeps outside at yeah. Christmas to avoid his drunken family. I mean, it's it's kind of sad, and it gives you sort of a, an insight into Xander that is... Yeah, you know, and it gives you an insight into why his family, yeah. you know, the Scoobies, is mm-hmm. so important. Absolutely. Him. Yeah, it's it's a strong moment for Xander. And watching this, I kind of wish that we had more interaction between Xander and Joyce in particular. Yeah. You know? Because Giles is very specifically a father figure to the girls. Yeah. He's less a paternal figure in 
Xander's life, I He's think. more like a disappointed high, like football coach, <laughs> right? I don't think Giles would appreciate the comparison to a football coach of any kind, disappointed or otherwise. No, but I mean, like, with, I think his relationship with Xander is like, you're part of my team and you're really not pulling your weight. Like, I feel like that's generally <laughs> they're growing how Giles more. Well, you know, we're going to talk about, about Xander's Xander. influence on Giles. Well, no, I mean, because, I mean, remember that Within moment in Becoming when, <laughs> when Giles looks at Xander and says, it's a lie. They're just trying to show me what I want to see. And he's like, why would they send me and he's like good point and then he gets up and leaves like that right there that one interaction kind of just says everything about giles and xander oz and willow talk in an empty classroom and he lays out his position with all the emotional sophistication we've come to expect from this weirdly mature young man despite some reservations he misses her like he would miss a part of his own body but he's willing to forgive her for getting smoochy with xander like he would forgive a part of his own body they embrace and Things are better. Yeah. Things are better. Yeah. I like Oz. Uh, you know, we'll I like Oz talk a more lot. about Oz when we yeah. get to his big scene in this episode. Yeah. At the tree lot, Joyce suggests that Buffy invite Faith over for Christmas. Buffy's hesitant, but Joyce describes Faith's motel room perfectly, which is weird. Yeah. Has Joyce visited Faith's motel room? You would have to presume or that she just either she in. has or she's been watching the show. <laughs> so it's one or, or the other. Or Buffy describes it to her. She knows the kind of person that Faith is. Or she knows exactly where... <laughs> The kind of, you know, skid row place that Faith would be. Or yeah. it's possible that Buffy told her about it. It's entirely yeah. possible. Mm-hmm. The conversation about Giles, though, is less productive. Here is my question for you. Is Joyce shutting down the idea of inviting Giles over for Christmas because, A, she is still sore about his presence in Buffy's life, a la Anne? No, band candy. because she's Band candy. <laughs> band candy. The only thing that makes me hesitate about that is Christine Sutherland's performance yes. and the fact that this is a Joss script. Yeah. And it does seem to be, I don't know, pulling on on a thread that's not quite the I'm embarrassed that that I had sex with that man on a police car. That's exactly what all of that is. At least one police car. All you of think that. that you're you're completely I am a hundred percent that this is band candy. Had that not happened, she was over the whole tension with Giles. The two of them, I mean, it was during band candy, but prior to eating the candy, they were working together, yeah. you know, yeah. for uh, for Buffy's, you know, good. Working and together talking. for a better Buffy. For a better Buffy. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, it's it's band candy. Okay. Absolutely. I'll, I'll it, is, it. it is sex I'll on a police take, car. I don't know. I'm not sure that Christine Sutherland's response informs it i I didn't see the kind of i didn't see the abashed you know but in (laughs) fairness she gets a tenth of a second to give that response i think she gets that i mean we'll have to throw it out to the listeners i think she gets that across crystal clear i'm happy to yeah to to subscribe to your theory (laughs) do you have any pamphlets that outline your position buffy finds a bunch of dead trees in the lot but since she isn't charlie brown she doesn't (laughs) buy one i wonder if that'll come back later i wonder if that's significant foreshadowing Uh, we cut two dreams of eyeless robed figures conducting a ritual and angel wakes in a sweat i guess this is as good a time as any Mm mm-hmm to talk about the mechanics of dreams yeah. in this episode in particular. Angel isn't dreaming, per se. He's having memories. He's having experiences yes. that feel like they are... It's it, it feels external to a dream world. Right. Because, because as we see later, the first. you know, we have other people in there. Yeah. Here's the thing, though. Angel doesn't have a history of 
weirdly specific prophetic dreams the way that Buffy does. Yes. Mm -hmm. Is he cribbing Buffy's slayer sense, you know, her prophetic powers here? Because the thing that I'm, I'm unsure about, the thing I remain unsure about is what ties Angel and Buffy's dream lives together. How can she inhabit his dreams? I don't think that we really get a sense of that. My, my thing. We don't get an an explanation offered in the episode. Well, I think what's happening. I mean, my personal like headcanon for this is that he is having this paranormal experience, right? Yeah. She has been known to have prophetic, you know, uh, clairvoyant dreams um, at various times. So I think that she, with her powers, entered that paranormal space where he was having this experience. See, I don't think it's quite that clear cut. And here's why. Buffy has been dreaming of Angel Mm -hmm. ever since they slept together. Yes. I think even when he was in the hell dimension, she was still dreaming of him in a way that is more vivid. And that may be a consequence of her Slayer powers. Right. Mm -hmm. But I don't think it's strictly, you know, the prophetic Slayer dream. Mm -hmm. I think she is entangled with Angel in some kind of, you know. Mystical way. Well, spiritual way. They are tied together. Yeah. Yeah, I Mm -hmm. think that when they dream, there is a certain overlap Mm -hmm. there. And I think that what may be happening here is that as... Buffy can dream of Angel and what mm-hmm. certainly seems to be, you know, a real... When, when we get Buffy's dreams of angels earlier in the season before his return, yeah, he seems to be actually Angel. He seems to be, you know, mm-hmm. a more complete character. He's certainly not just reflective of what she wants because he's talking back to her and arguing with her and guiding her. So you think her. that in those dreams that she was having of Angel in the early season, yeah. before he came back, yeah. when he was dead to her, right? When he was in this hell dimension, yeah. that he, that part of his consciousness was actually present in the in I that th- dream space, that I they were think, sharing that dream space? I think that's a possible argument. Mm-hmm. I think it's also possible to read it as there is just, when you are connected so closely with someone, mm-hmm. they leave an imprint behind. Yeah. And I think that there's a part of Angel's psyche, a part of his personality that mm-hmm. is still, you know, present in Buffy's head. Yeah. Um, and that's why we get those very vivid dreams. And that could be, yeah, fueled by her Slayer dream sense, mm-hmm. you know. So we get those very vivid dreams in the first half of the season. And now we're getting these very vivid dreams where they're clearly connected. This is, Buffy isn't, you know, reading into her experience. She is literally present in his dream. Yeah. We know that from our perspective. Right. Mm-hmm. Because we know that they're waking at the same time. They're sharing exactly the same experience. The same experiences. There's no exactly equivocation she was in, in and she episode. tells Giles, I was yeah. in his dream. Um, yeah. I'm not sure that I have a ready explanation. I mean, I think that pretty much, I think it's her ability to in her dreams to sort of skirt through various spaces that yeah. it, it makes me think of like well, the Scott Pilgrim, uh, the, the girl who like, you know, skateboards through people's oh, dreams. I kind of feel like it's a little bit similar to that, yeah, that it's yeah. because of her unique ability to, um, to kind of transcend her own dream space into this mystical place where she can see things that are, are real. Yes. Um, that allows her to, to slip into his dream space. I don't well, think that the angel that she was seeing in her dreams was actually angel. Okay. I, can, I feel I can, like she slipped into his dream space, but he hasn't slipped into hers. Okay. So where do his prophetic visions come from? His because prophetic visions. He sees the eyeless robed figures. 
Oh, that's well, a real because, world thing. That's because not a they're altering. Uh, they're the ones. That's the power that's altering. That's creating this dream space. And so I he's think getting that, a glimpse of the, the I think machinery he's just behind seen, his dream sequence. Right, right, than, right. It's it's okay. you know it's Oz behind the curtain. Just just a little, a well, little not, flash. Not Oz, right. no, no, not our Oz. <laughs> the the Wizard of Oz from you know. Has no one Frank done a Wizard of Oz? There's that's probably a whole there's other thing. probably some uh, some fan art on yes. Tumblr somewhere <laughs> of, of the Wizard of our Oz. Our Oz, yes. It's an interesting. It's an interesting conversation, and yeah. certainly the dream overlap stuff isn't mm-hmm. really scrutinized by the script yeah. in the way that it would be in any other episode that didn't also have a million other things exactly. to do. Exactly, but mm-hmm. it's it, it speaks thematically. Okay, so this is one of the things that this episode does. Uh huh. When this episode stumbles in terms of the detail, mm-hmm. it doesn't matter so much to me mm-hmm. because what it gets absolutely pitch perfect right is the thematic consequence mm-hmm. of what is happening. Mm-hmm. So I don't know the mechanism by which Buffy and Angel are sharing dreams. Right. But it is entirely appropriate that Buffy and Angel are sharing dreams. Yeah, I buy it. Because like, it I may not understand their intimacy. It. it bespeaks their th- this much greater spiritual connection right. that they have. And it even, you know, references notions of fate and mm-hmm. of destiny and of, you know, the <laughs> the things that are capital R right, right. in the world. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So that stuff works for me. And that, I think, is reflected in things like the snowfall at the end of the episode, yeah. the presumption of the first evil. You know, there's a ton of stuff in this episode that, not to say that it's inconsistent, it's just not completely explained. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't matter that it's not completely explained because... It is so internally consistent yes. and thematically so, so incredibly vibrant. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, and I'm, I'm okay with there being questions, too. Yeah. Like, I, I don't need every little thing answered for me. Sure. So while I'm probably not quite as, I wouldn't say impressed, but affected by by how nicely all this ties in together, like, philosophically, um, I'm, I'm happy to have unanswered questions sure. about certain things like that, like how Buffy's in his dream space. I think that we see that Buffy has... Um, has unusual and and you know real world dreams quite often, yeah. and so her ability to slip into his dream space, I don't think is that that big no, of a question. That for I me. wouldn't worry mm-hmm. about too much. It, it does read to me that he's having a prophetic dream that he's borrowing mm-hmm. from Buffy. Yeah, well, <laughs> or, that it's, it's the same source. All the power kind of... comes from. All the paranormal comes from the same you know general place. So what is the same general place? I don't know. Just the paranormal stuff. <laughs> All the paranormal stuff. If there's a rule that Buffy can have prophetic dreams, then maybe anybody else who, you know, is in a paranormal, you know, life will, will have that well, ability except too. That or the can access that the, ability the, too. The prophetic dreams are explicitly tied to her Slayer heritage. That is one of her Slayer powers. They are, but Drusilla has psychic powers. I mean, and, you know, like... But psychic powers of a very different sort. Right, and maybe yeah. angels are a little different too. I think angels given this space from the, you know, the influence of the first on sure. him, but... Sure. No, and that's certainly a, a perfectly coherent mm-hmm. and, and sensible, you know, connection to draw, I think. Yeah. yeah, yeah. In Faith's apartment, meanwhile, she is applying a little kinetic engineering to a television set that was built in 1969. <laughs> when Buffy stops by to invite her to dinner on Christmas Eve, she'd love to go, but she's been invited to this big party. Big Big party. party. B- big invitation right it's like one of those novelty checks the Lots invitation to this big party was four Lots feet of places wide to yeah. Go. yes it's it's great oh god it's she's great. so alone it's, and her vulnerability uh, faith's vulnerability in this entire season is something that i wasn't really paying attention to the first time that i watched it's it it's harder to track week by week too yeah. i think what you really have to be paying close attention to all the moving parts the fact that she's been absent for a couple of weeks mm-hmm. now yeah 
and you get the sense that she really has just been alone in that time. That, yeah, she it's, really it's has. It's tough. I find the faith stuff in this extraordinarily good. Oh, my God. It really, really is. Yeah. Giles is talking about things I find oh, extraordinarily good. Maybe, maybe my favorite scene in the entire episode. Yeah. Giles is busy cooking when there's a knock on the door. To his surprise, it is Angel who needs his help. Oh, my God. God, I love that moment. And the funny just keeps on coming. <laughs> Giles, to his credit, sets aside his memories of Angelus, but only long enough to retrieve a loaded crossbow. That's the moment for me. As, as good as yeah. the, and the funny keeps on coming, as good as that line is, when Angel sta- Giles goes off and mm-hmm. Angel's standing in the doorway and he has that very kind of anxious, that very nervous, that very, right. very self-conscious, I can't come in if you don't invite me. Yeah. And Giles says, oh, I know. And he's there and with the holds crossbow. the crossbow on him. Oh my god, I love it! It's I love astonishingly it. good. Giles is this entire sequence so fantastic. Uh, he does invite Angel inside, and Angel tells him about the dreams, the memories. He wants to know why he was returned to Earth and what power sent him back. Giles asks him if peace of mind is a good idea, but when he bends to set down the crossbow. Jenny is standing behind him. Oh, my God. That is a great reveal. It is. It's wonderful. And the look on Angel's face when he sees Jenny, especially in context with Giles, you know. stunning. Angel trembles as Giles tells him, not so gently, what happened the last time he found peace. Yeah. He's shaken up, but Giles cannot see Jenny. And when Angel flees, Giles does not follow Oh my goodness. It's just, it's, it's so good. one of the most brilliantly written scenes yeah. in the entire run of Buffy. Yeah. I love this moment. The thing that really jumped out at me this time is something that we've mentioned on Dusted before, but we haven't mentioned it for a long, long mm-hmm. while. We talk often about how good Anthony Stewart had is. Yeah. What a great actor he is. And I've said before, you know, he's just on another tier. Everybody mm-hmm. in this show is great. Yes. But he's just on another tier. He's mm-hmm. just that good. What you forget because we see him so often in the context of Buffy and Xander and Willow, yeah. and we see, you know, the usual Scooby gang and those interactions with which we're very familiar. Mm-hmm. What you forget is how powerfully he elevates all the performances around him. Yeah. Everybody is better when they're talking to Giles. Yes. <laughs> and that, I think, is in part because he has this amazing attention. Mm-hmm. He has this amazing stillness he has a focus he has a in certain actors there is a a basic generosity of spirit which when they're on the on the camera you know when they're the heart of the scene um they don't play like here is my chance to be awesome they are always engaged with everybody else in they are first focused on the other characters that they're dealing with. And I think, I mean, knowing as little as I do about acting, I've never been an actor. (laughs) I've never done, I mean, I've worked with actors very little bit, you know, but, um, but I mean, you can see that when there's that generosity of spirit, when there's that, that ability to focus completely on the person that you're talking to, the person that you're acting with and let them be the flash, you yeah. know, let them be the one that has, I mean, he's around Buffy and Buffy's this big thing and there's all this stuff going on with her. Um, and he plays himself as a support system to everyone else. Yeah. And I think that that's what makes him 
elevate well, every scene that any he elevates everybody else because yeah. he lives as a support to the other people who are doing that well also in embodying this this very quiet and studied and, and complex and crunchy people performance people who it's, are really good at what they do yeah. make it look effortless you know and, and a lot of times you can not see it you cannot see what they do and I think that's what makes this kind of acting so incredibly generous and in that yeah. he will fade into the background a little bit to give everybody else a space to dance but yeah because he yeah. doesn't get to do you know what Buffy does he doesn't get right. to do what Spike does for example but Spike is like has... the alternative ver- James uh, Monsters in yeah. Buffy oh, yeah. is the alternative version of this because right. when he's on screen you can't pay attention to anyone else you can't else. look at anyone else and it's not him. that he's not generous it's yeah. that he's so he's <laughs> so electric that you just can't look yeah. away he's he's At just one of those incredibly powerful spike as we've seen him thus far yes yeah, we're gonna see a lot more from is a his flashy character future, and giles yeah. is not giles is quiet giles is tweed giles is support you know <laughs> but anthony stewart head when he has these moments to play these very complex moments these very complex bits like where you have a character who has been tortured whose love has yeah. been brutally murdered still extend yeah. himself to be helpful, you know, um, to do what is right. To this do is what is all, right. And what is beautiful is, of course, this isn't just a studied character yeah. moment. This is fundamental to the philosophical discourse that is taking place in this episode. Exactly. Giles is going to. Well, well, we'll the wrap entire this up episode is we obviously about stand. forgiveness. I mean, this this thematically, this whole episode dances well, around forgiveness. It is in a sense, but it's forgiveness from. I I would argue, and will argue at the end of the episode, yeah. it's forgiveness from three very different perspective yeah it's and four if you include like buffy's just burning necessity yeah i have to forgive you because there's no choice right mm-hmm. we have angel's take on on existentialism you know this take mm-hmm. on what is a man you know, yeah which is really incredibly powerful stuff and obviously occupies you a know good the, the, the majority of the, yeah. of the philosophical mm-hmm. discourse in the episode he's the one who gets the big finale speech and yes. that's fine and right and the way it should be but here we have a counterpoint to that which is this very this very kind of quiet utilitarianism. Giles is going to not necessarily forgive Angel, but he's going to work with Angel because of the greater good. Right. He believes that adding goodness to the world and Mm -hmm. taking badness out of the world is the most sacred duty that you can have. Mm -hmm. And he's going to set aside his personal, you know, his personal torment, his personal grudge against Angel for that, in the name of that. Mm -hmm. And that's incredibly powerful. But that sits... As, as a counterpoint to Angel's take on this kind of, you know, solitary exceptionalism, yeah. this, this self-defining philosophy of existentialism. The third point that we'll get to in just a few minutes is Oz, mm-hmm. who has this very, this very Kantian approach. Yeah. It's not enough for Oz to do the right thing. He wants to do the right thing for the right, for the right reason. reasons. Mm-hmm. The reason is very important to Oz in a way that it clearly isn't to either Angel or Giles. Right. You know, mm-hmm. they are much more pragmatic, but, but, Oz is like the, the Kantian romantic. He's yes. the one who says, no, the consequence isn't what matters. Mm-hmm. It's it's the reason. Which we've seen from Oz before. That's entirely consistent with his oh, characterization. Yeah. You know? So we have this remarkably sophisticated mm-hmm. take on on you know the, the kind of the philosophies that define us, the philosophies that act not as mm-hmm. intellectual distractions, yeah. but as, you know, moral compulsions. These are the philosophies that define who we are and why we do what we do. Mm-hmm. And there's so much depth in this episode. No, there absolutely is. I'm just stunned is. by it. Yeah. I'm stunned mm-hmm. by it. Let's keep going because this really is going this to be is the going longest to be a episode. This is going to be a very long episode, yeah. <laughs> we cut to another night, another dream, another memory of terrible things. So this, by the way, would be the third night 
Okay. The third mm-hmm. night of Angels Dreaming. Yes. Um, because we've had daytime scenes intercut with these. So. Okay. Uh, Christmas is a long time coming in Sunnydale. Paco Bell's canon in D plays serenely in the background of a fine country house as Angelus assaults Margaret, a serving girl. He compels her silence with fear of shame, which is of all the horrifying things yeah. that Angel has done. That is, to me, one of the worst. Yeah. That is one of the 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 flat reality of I am going to rape you. Yes. And you are going to allow it to happen because if you fight or struggle, no one will believe you. And no you one will, will help be shamed. You, and you will be shamed and thrown at. Yeah. Not entirely something we fixed 100% in the no, 200 years since. Well, which is why yeah. it is so clearly Which relevant, is why it is, is so incredibly evil. Yeah. And mm-hmm. there's something to much later in the episode. Uh, Jenny, yeah. the first evil, is going to tell Angel that he has a talent for cruelty. Yeah. And it's moments like this that we see that it's not just the thing he does, it's the way he does it. And right. of course, we saw all of that at the end of season two. You know, mm-hmm. It's right. not just that he killed Jenny, it's the way that he did it. It's and the artful way yes, that he does yes. this stuff. And the fact that he does it with, I mean, and you know, we go back all the way to passion, yeah. right? Because when we were talking about the episode passion, he's giving his big speech about passion and what it means. We were also talking about passion with what you do, yeah. that, that when you're particularly good at something, um, it, it fills you with that sense of purpose. And Angel, the thing that he's good at is the thing that he cannot allow himself to do. So it's not just that, you know, he's he's a good, you know, soul tortured by the acts that he's done when he hasn't been in control of himself, but also that he has a flair for it. He has an artistry for it, that this is something that he's actually good at. And that is one, a a very subtle thread in the Mm -hmm. episode, but one of the most important is that he's not killing in a vampiric way he's yeah. not killing to feed he's not not just you know it's reveling in his evil he's orchestrating this yeah in a profoundly malevolent way yeah um, and it really works again another you know flashback beat that works fundamentally and such a wonderful contrast when yeah. you look at the difference between insold angel and and Angelus, yeah. you know, um, you look at the two of them next to each other and you just think, how how could this be the same, yeah. the same guy? And it's a really interesting duality within yeah. him that that does he have. He obviously doesn't want to kill. You know, he doesn't want to hurt people when he's in sold. Yeah. But is that element of danger and torture and, and glee in the art of it? Is that inside of him? Oh, well, we know that it is you from know? the end of the episode. We yeah, know that it is because yeah. there's that voice inside of him that doesn't care yeah. that he'll lose his soul if he takes Buffy again. You right. Know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it, it's clearly there. It's the ongoing battle. I'd love to know a little more about the audition process yeah. that he went through and what the original sense of Angel as a character well, was. Because you we hired David Boreanaz one, because he gives good brood. Because he's, yeah. You know? But I don't know. He I was wonder a if they, snarky kind of you know, velvet jacket weirdo <laughs> in the first. I'm sorry, but the velvet jacket. All right, look, if we're going to start picking on the costumes in season one of Buffy, A, this really will be the longest podcast ever because it might never end. And B, Angel isn't even near the top of that list. Yeah, no, no, I know. and But the way he was characterized in the first season, he didn't find himself yeah. until after... Um, the episode Angel until yeah. after we find out who he is and what he's done and all of that kind of stuff. Um, and we don't really see him, I think, 
in full form until season two. Like he's he's oh, yeah. we, still we don't baking get, through season one. Even when we have flashbacks and we have vague yeah. hints of what he has done, mm-hmm. we don't get Angelus yeah. until until you know, innocence. innocence. Yeah. yeah. Um, mm-hmm. So it, it, it's possibly some extraordinarily you know yeah. serendipitous casting. That they found that he was able to pull all this off. Who was who was played really communicates that malevolence. Yeah, no, he's doing even in a very different way from Spike, even Uh a very different way from Drusilla. And he gets better as we go too. I mean, David Boreanaz in the beginning is not. I don't know that the performance gets a lot better. I think he's he's maybe just given a lot more to do. On what he does, I think he I think he works at it. Yeah. Because you look oh, at some no, of the I'm stuff from season that he two, that he doesn't, you know, I think that he, I think that he improves his yeah. approach to these things. So, but the writing yeah. also steps up, yeah, which, is, which is powerful stuff. But it, it really works when he bites Margaret in this flashback. Though he looks up to see Buffy standing there watching him, he awakes with a start and far across town in her own bed. So does Buffy. Angel gets up and dresses, and Jenny is there. He shouldn't feel sorry for her, she says, just for himself. And it's so nice when you can start your day with a big tick on your to-do list. <laughs> right. Feel sorry for self. Check. Done. That's a big old check on the list. <laughs> it's great stuff. I, I yeah. feel like I'm pausing this beat by beat every two seconds because it's something new to talk about. And there really is. This is a very dense episode yeah. of Buffy. Let's try and keep this brief. But this is the best Roby Lamort has ever been. No, Roby Lamort, another one that gets better as we go. She's so good in this yeah. episode. And what's brilliant, what I love is she's so recognizably Jenny. Yeah. You know, it would be really easy to do this kind of right, mm-hmm. you know, cold, malevolent thing. But there are there are things that she says that could only be said by Jenny. The right. line about, you know, <laughs> I want to die in my bed surrounded by, by fat, fat grandchildren. grandchildren. <laughs> yes, exactly. It's a very mm-hmm. Jenny line. Yeah. Uh, I think she's just great and a really welcome presence. Yeah, no, I like her a lot. And when we see this transition into the other people mm-hmm. that, you know, when this this force, you know, uh, turns into the other people that Angel has tortured and killed and, and, and yeah. done all this, uh, visited all this, you know, terrible One death. Upon. which is particularly... Yeah. Yeah. Cold and troubling. Oh, God, no, yeah. all of it. And when we see the transition from Jenny to Daniel to any of the other people that, you know, Angel has tortured over yeah. the years, um, we do see a transition. We see some of their personality also brought into the character of the first, you know, yeah. whatever this is, that we see elements of, of their personality, of who they were um, infused into that into that presentation, which is actually a very subtle work in the writing it's it's yeah. really fantastic writing oh it is it is absolutely jenny reaches out to touch angel but when she does she transforms into daniel in a very nice little yeah no, subtle effect good some effect. of the cg work here is really really yeah. good we cut to buffy who was telling giles about the dream she's sure it was angel's memory and giles admits that he too has talked with angel he's even been researching the question of angel's return because how good a guy is rupert giles yeah that's what that's that utilitarian. He's a guy who does about. the right thing. Absolutely. Buffy wants to help, and speaking of good dudes, so does Xander, who has been listening from the doorway. Willow even shows up and we get a study montage of the Scoobies doing what the Scoobies do best. All right. It's good stuff. Xander. 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 This is the moment, and I honestly had never seen it prior I always to this. been the mostest best friend. Oh my god. He is I think there's something about his guilt and what he did and what happened to Cordelia and all of the things. I think that there's something about that that made him a little more human. There's something about that that made him softer. 
you know, and, and, and more willing to forgive other people. He's always had this real hard line with Angel. And now, out of nowhere, it's he, he suddenly has a certain maturity. Well, I think my read on it, and and certainly, you know, we don't explore it in a great deal of depth. Oh, no, so we, we kind don't of have at all. To inform it, and yeah. certainly, I think there is a legitimate criticism of this arc that we don't see it. So Xander right. is just suddenly a good dude, and, and that's you know, yeah. you kind of have to live with it. For me, it's losing Cordelia. It's losing yeah. someone that he genuinely cared about a great deal. I think that makes him reassess the relationships that he has in his life and you can double that up with christmas and his awful family Mm -hmm. you know right he's now i think more more explicitly and consciously grateful for and aware of Mm -hmm. buffy and willow and giles his and able to to see things from their perspective i think so yeah no i mean i think that this experience this this experience of hurting cordelia as much as he did and and also you know damaging willow and her relationship with oz and all of that i think has has made him grow up really fast i'm just thinking it right now but you're right the way that he hurt cordelia Mm -hmm. is he seeing an, uh, an uh, unconscious parallel there with I think that his guilt makes him see Angel differently I think that yeah, the fact that yeah. Angel has done terrible things that he regrets and now Xander has done terrible things that he regrets I think that he he wants people to be kind to him and so he's extending some kindness to other people I think that there's a maturity in there that we haven't seen in Xander so many people that, like you know we've been talking about since we came back you know season one yeah. um, so many people were like oh Xander's terrible and here's the textual evidence and they give all of these things that he's done you know yeah. um, and uh, and I can see that you know but this is the Xander that I remember this is the guy that I brought right. with me through all the seasons and I think that this is the turning point for Xander when we see a more mature that more caring really more thoughtful guy yeah. and and certainly more mature more caring more thoughtful not absolutely mature and he's caring no and Giles <laughs> but he's but moving who among us could who like among us <laughs> could be Giles no it'll be really interesting to to see how much of a turning point this is yeah. for Xander and I do think it's maybe fair that that Whedon writes Giles, you know, it has been observed many times, not least of all by us, yeah. that, that Xander is the Whedon self-insertion character. Yes. You know? <laughs> Joss Whedon in the Buffyverse is Xander. Is Harris. Xander, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think that Whedon has always written Xander with a little more, a little more kind of agile complexity yeah. than other writers. Other writers tend to drop Xander one tier of complexity down to, you know, yeah. a simpler form. He right. is, the he snarky is the, teenage sidekick. Yes. Kick. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or, or the snark kick. The snark kick. That's the snarky sidekick. I don't have time to say snarky sidekick. I just said the, like the snark kick. And that we have an episode title. There so we that's go. Good. It's all good. <laughs> so some writers reduce Xander's complexity yeah. and make him no less joyful. He's obviously, fun, but, but he's but not that complex. Yeah. We don't see those levels of his personality. And I, I really enjoy seeing the Xander that I recognize in this episode i completely agree we cut ahead to willow and buffy talking about boys willow wants to heal the rift between her and oz and buffy tells her to show oz that he comes first maybe it's the boy talk maybe it's the montage but they just aren't making any progress in researching what is happening to mm-hmm. angel <laughs> they are finding out a little about beats though yes <laughs> which is, if you forgive me a beat that i really enjoy oh <laughs> man hey. Ow, ow, it's all right, I forgive you. Angel, meanwhile, is being tormented by another memory and another. Angel denies responsibility for what the demon did, but a flash of memory reminds him that the pre-vamp angel wasn't anything terribly special 
either. Mm-hmm. So this is the sequence where we have the the first taking on the persona of this guy in a suit. Yeah. Who gives us this really dark account oh, of one God. of Angel's many depredations. Yeah. Um, the murder of this guy's children. Children. And then the artful arrangement of the bodies in a bed to make it appear that they are sleeping. Yeah. Wow. Where have we heard that before? Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's really tough. Yeah. But what's most powerful in all of it is the flashback to pre-vampire angel yeah just yeah. this drunken layabout that we saw you know prior right. to being turned by mm-hmm. by darla so long ago it's a really bold choice and that opens up that is our first hint of the real kind of philosophical gulf mm-hmm. in this episode the distinction between angel the man and and angelus the demon yeah and which is really to blame for these these terrible terrible crimes yeah jenny tells him to rest to find peace in the cruelty what he fights isn't a curse but his destiny back at the library the scoobies are sleeping as giles continues to work angel and buffy are dreaming the same dream together again together in the biblical sense in fact (laughs) as the dream gets a little more intense at the height of their passion though buffy sees one of the eyeless figures in the room with them and angel vamps out and bites her they both awake with a start and Jenny is there to twist the knife for Angel, urging him to take what he wants and claiming responsibility for bringing him back. There you go. Let's stick a pin in that. All right. And we'll let's. talk a little about that at the end of the episode. It's a really intense scene, though. Yeah, yeah it is. <laughs> perhaps, you know, striking. And maybe just a show, a sign of the show's increasing confidence and mm-hmm. maturity that as a sex scene, it's actually much more effective than the sex scene back in Surprise. Oh, yeah. This no, kind absolutely. of recreation of mm-hmm. Angel, you know, yeah. succumbing to his darkest impulses mm-hmm. is more effective, you know, than the actual. Visually, emotionally, right. you know. And mm-hmm. perhaps, you know, that's just a consequence of having a whole other season of uh, yeah. drama and mm-hmm. intimacy and entanglement between these two. But right. it works really quite well and the moment of the the eyeless figure standing there with these runes carved yeah. on his, his, his empty eye sockets that's really dark that's yeah, really striking mm-hmm. it's good stuff meanwhile giles has tracked down references to the first evil a force that could have brought angel back buffy identifies the eyeless figures the harbingers they're conjuring spirits to torment angel buffy has a practical solution in mind you know the Buffy practical solution. Exactly. She's going to punch a thing. Just kill the things. Yeah. Kill all she the things. She goes off in pursuit of more information at Willie's bar with Xander in tow. Oh How great to see Willie again. God. Willie admits that he has heard things from the underground. The creepy, crawly things beneath the streets have been leaving town. That's all that he knows. And Buffy and Xander leave. But not before Willie takes a moment to compliment Xander on <laughs> being quite so intimidating. I love this moment between so Willie and Xander. It is such a, it's first of all, like unnecessary to, to have that level of characterization in Willie the snitch, you yeah. know, but to, to do that in a way that Xander comes in, he's trying to be tough. He's trying to be intimidating. And then at the end, Willie throws him a bone. Well, we it's kind of a nice moment. From yeah. Xander in this scene, because first of all, he wants to order a drink. Yes. <laughs> And is a forestalled from that. Yes. Then he has this kind of intimidating swagger and mm-hmm. undercuts it somewhat by asking Buffy if now's when they do the threatening. Yes. And then there's the beat at the end when Willie just compliments him. And I was waiting for Willie to turn it around. I was yeah. waiting for it to be like a, a snarky barb. To undercut it. But it wasn't. He but was just genuinely genuine throwing. Moment. He's like, Xander, I see that you've grown up a little bit. I'm going to give you a little something for it. Yeah. It's, it's so kinda, good. It was kind of nice. I just yeah. adore it. And then I adore the follow-up beat outside when Buffy and Xander are comparing notes. Yeah. And we have this whole idea that that 
knowing that something is underground isn't actually much help in Sunnydale. Mm -hmm. But there's this real moment of connection between Buffy and Xander. And that is a moment of connection. Just the two of them. Yeah. You know, a hopeless situation. Uh That is a moment that in the past has been leveraged for some of that weird for some of that weird romantic here today gone tomorrow yeah kind of romantic tension between the two of them and there's none of it's it here wonderful it's great I, I feel like this is the xander i know yeah you absolutely know? buffy is lost but xander has a plan celebrate christmas then figure out what comes next there you go at willow's house oz has brought videos but willow apparently has something <laughs> else in mind judging by the low lights and the slinky dress and such a great set detail that I only noticed this time. Oh, yeah. In the bucket in front of her, yeah. she has two bottles of soda on ice. Mm-hmm. They're obviously soda bottles. Yes. I love that <laughs> more than I can that tell That is you. very Willow. Some mm-hmm. set designer somewhere it yes. needs to be high-fived yes. for that little detail. Exactly. It is perfect. And, of course, the actual Barry White. Yes. Clearly, you know, Willow. <laughs> Willow is meddling with things that she ought not meddle in. Willow it's has gone on the internet. To, to, you know, How to seduce my boyfriend. It's one thing to cast yes. magical spells and conduct all these rituals, but to invoke Barry White, that is powerful stuff. That is true. Willow wants to do the thing that mature younger people do, but Oz resists because this isn't the right way yeah and that's perfect it and is? echoes of course oz's refusal to make out with her in the first place right right uh, yeah. way back when and this is a really strong part of oz's character mm-hmm. it's not about what you do it's about the reasons behind why you do it yeah which you know you might be tempted to to disambiguate and interpret you know mm-hmm. moral compulsions in exactly that manner if you were a werewolf yes. three days a week could go on a murder or exactly. three days a month rather could go on a murderous <laughs> rampage uh, you too might be interested more in the cause exactly. than the effect. Uh, but it's it's a really nice moment. Right. It's it's a morally complex moment, mm-hmm. and it's it's incredibly touching between the yeah. two of them. It's great. Second time, she's two for two now for being shot down. Yeah, and offers of losing her virginity. First to Xander and uh, Bewitched, Bothered, and Bewildered, and yes. now to Oz too. Mm-hmm. Ah, poor Willow. Oh, it's such a great scene. Though. That's it all really right. Is. Third time's a charm. <laughs> and then we have. I'll, we'll be talking about other things when we get there. Yeah. But right at the end of the episode, when it starts to snow, and mm-hmm. we cut to them, and we see them. They've been, you know, curled up on Willow's bed. Yeah. And they wake up together. But it's a very kind of intimate but chaste yes. mm-hmm. moment between the two of them. It's, it's great very stuff. nice. Just great stuff. Um, Joyce, meanwhile, is throwing another log on the seasonal but unnecessary fire. And I love how hard we're hitting the beat of, wow, it's a million degrees. It's in a million degrees. It's so warm in Sunnydale. <laughs> it's so warm. She asks a distracted Buffy. Angels on top again? <laughs> Angels on top again? There you so go. If you're wondering what that distant rumble is, like like thunder on a hot summer night, like a distant earthquake that shakes the foundation of the world beneath you, that is the sound of Joss Whedon adjusting his enormous balls. <laughs> because you have to be... <laughs> you have to be incredibly confident to go of extraordinary cojones yes. <laughs> to have that line in your script. <laughs> I love the audacity of it. Yes. Well, especially coming from Joyce. Especially coming from I like Joyce. That, and yeah. she does it so beautifully. Too, yes, because, yes. Because Joyce isn't aware. She yeah. doesn't wink at the camera. Yeah. Like it. It's mm-hmm. such, it's, I mean, it is a line that <laughs> I'm not sure that I like as much as I am just awed by its You respect audacity. it, right? Exactly. the hell out of it. It's one of those things that is is a little bit shoehorned in. It's not a natural line. Oh, it's line, so shoehorned in. But... 
But, you know, okay, fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> it's the kind of line that I think many writers would have calls like, attention they, they'd to stepped itself, yeah. toward it. Yeah. You know, a lot of writers would have written that line and then looked at it and gone, nah, no, that's too much. Yeah. I, I can't sell it. There's no way that I can. No, no. <laughs> and they would take it. Not Whedon, though. Not Whedon. Not Whedon. No, He's going to do the not. thing. That's right. Uh, <laughs> Faith drops by after all and continues to stress the Yeah, heat. how hot it is, yes. I love Faith. I love Faith stopping um, by. I love the awkwardness of it. I love her not giving up on the whole of the party. You know, yeah. whatever. <laughs> right. But also she knows that Buffy yeah. knows. But yeah. Buffy knows that she knows that Buffy knows. And, and there's she's no not gonna, need she's not to look at it anyway. directly. Yeah. A tiny little detail that I love. Yeah. But uh, Faith comes in. And obviously it's a mechanical excuse to get Buffy upstairs. Yes. But it's also a character moment that I genuinely buy. Yeah. Buffy bought a present for Faith. Yeah. And she has it upstairs. I know. I love that. I, I love it. It's faith is great in this episode. faith is Absolutely really great. great and her vulnerability is yeah. so i mean it's so there and it's so brittle so buffy goes upstairs to get faith's gifts but angel is in her room he is in a bad way frantic distressed the vision of jenny is tormenting him further urging him to taste buffy but he cries out and lunges out of the window <laughs> How many times has he dove headfirst out of that window? <laughs> More than you would think necessary. He's getting really it's quite kind good of a at bit of a drama now. queen, isn't he? <laughs> I really like this. You sequence. can't just walk through a door. <laughs> I think I like the way that they sell the sequence. Yeah, I like the way that the performance anchors it, of mm-hmm. course, but it's also augmented by this. And it's not just defocused or swimmy camera yeah. work. The fixation on Buffy's necklace. Yeah, you, know, you get that one shot where he's obviously just intent. Mm-hmm. on that completely you know yeah. arbitrary and unimportant necklace yeah. he is really losing his his mind he's right. losing his control see i thought he was focusing on her carter carded artery i thought that would also be an, that would also be an interpretation <laughs> yeah no that would also be an interpretation yeah. sure mm-hmm. uh but either way he he is losing his grip and we mm-hmm. managed to communicate that very very effectively yeah i mm-hmm. really like it um it works for you Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. No, I mean, I think it's a little weird for him to be hanging out in her bedroom to have a conversation with her for a few minutes and dive out of the window. Um, but obviously, he's in a very fragile place. Sure. So he's he's a little unstable at the moment. Buffy leaves Faith to keep an eye on Joyce and heads to Giles for aid. She thinks that Angel's losing his grip on his humanity again. And Giles reminds her of her duty. If called upon to do it, can she kill him again? Back at the Garden Mansion, Jenny is taunting Angel again and again, urging him to submit. He can't fight her, but he doesn't need to. He just needs the sun. And as he leaves, Jenny says that this isn't the plan, but it'll do. So this is our first moment of confirmation that Jenny is not in Angel's head. Mm-hmm. Because we see her when he is gone. When he is gone, right. <laughs> and that's a bold choice. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not sure that that... I'm not sure I how purposeful that is. I think we've known that she wasn't just in Angel's head the whole time. No, but I mean, as I mean, a presence in the world. As a presence as, in the it, world. It's not, that without not Angel to interpret there. her, she still exists. Exactly right. Okay, yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 She, yeah she's not like, a, like a, a vision that he is having. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's actually there in the world. And that that's, you know, confirmed Choosing later. who can see her and who can't. But that's yes. a nice mm-hmm. moment. Yeah. I, I, I don't know how purposeful it is that in that moment we, because clearly what we're doing is we're opening up this, this you know, point right. of speculation. Mm-hmm. Well, what is the first evil's plan? Here? Yeah. Um, but we're also, I think, I think we're also understanding that there is an an element of of the first evil being mm-hmm. visible and present, if yeah. not, you know, fully and properly incarnate in that moment. Giles, meanwhile, has found a brief passage describing the Harbingers and the fact that nothing around them can live 
or grow, huh, I wonder if we've seen anything that seemed insignificant at the time, but could now offer us a vital clue in this, our darkest hour. I don't know. Yeah, Buffy's on it. There we go. She's right on it. (laughs) At the Christmas tree lot, she finds the dead trees and begins attacking the ground with an axe, which is a ballsy solution to any problem. If you're in doubt, just start attacking Earth itself with an axe. She breaks open a passage into a tomb beneath the Earth. Inside, she finds the Harbingers chanting over an altar. She attacks, frightening them away and destroying the altar, and Jenny is suddenly there really making a big deal about how awesome and evil she is (laughs) and also telling Buffy that Angel will be dead by sunrise or at sunrise. Yeah, probably. Presumably. (laughs) She vanishes in an impressive CG effect and Buffy runs first to the garden mansion where there's no sign of her beleaguered bow and onward to the top of a nearby hill where Angel is watching the town. Daylight is coming. He's tormented, convinced of his weakness. And this, mm-hmm. this is the moment. Yeah. This for me. And, and this is going to be shocking. So prepare yourselves, dear yeah. listener. Sit yourselves down. And I know you disagree with me. We'll get to that in just one minute. We made a lot out of the brilliance of the dialogue between Buffy and Angel in yeah. Becoming Part 2. Mm-hmm. That final showdown. That, that The simple, expressive yeah. eloquence of that connection. I'm talking specifically, of course, of Close Your Eyes. Oh, God, yeah. That line that echoes through the Still entire series. Still kills me. I have a new favorite. Yeah. It's not the demon in me that needs killing. It's the man. That is a really good line. That I, is yeah. so good. It is. It is a really, really good line. It doesn't do for me. It doesn't come close to close your eyes for me. But, I mean, it's it's a good yeah. line. You know, he wants her. That he, at there are times where he doesn't care about losing his soul. This you know? whole exchange mm-hmm. is is brilliantly powerful yeah. stuff. If there's a weakness in the plotting in this episode, and I think that there is, <laughs> why does the first evil tell Buffy that Angel is about to be consumed by the sunlight? I think why the first evil does anything that the first evil does is a big question in this episode. Um, right. But aside from just being evil for evil's sake. Well, most of it is most of it we can speculate about, and we'll certainly get a certain will. You know, yeah. insight into mm-hmm. that. But we have this very specific you know, this very specific point of motivation. Yeah. You know, that Angel killing himself isn't the plan, but it'll do. Right. And that maybe sending Buffy to watch Angel die is I think something m- that would weaken the Slayer. Yeah, I think she must be, she, the yeah. first evil. You yeah. Know, we need to watch our pronouns with yeah. that. I guess it is clearly assuming that either Angel, uh, Buffy will be unable to find or save Angel, in mm-hmm. which case he'll die, or Angel will be overcome by Buffy's presence and kill her. Yeah, which he's clearly which is also to do, which is but also the first cool. is also you know rolling dice on a lot of that, like that yeah. what yeah. will happen, you know. So well, sure, but there are three possible outcomes. Yeah, <laughs> you know, Buffy Angel saves dies. Angel. Yeah, <laughs> Angel dies. Angel kills Buffy. Buffy saves Angel. Right. That's pretty much the so three options. Sixty six percent are okay. Good. Right. Yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. but. Which of those is the most likely? I don't know. Were yeah. I the first evil in that position, I would probably not say anything. I would be about like, Angel. he went to Home Depot. I would tell her, yeah. Angel's already dead. There's nothing you can do to help him. Right, right. <laughs> you may as well go home. Right, but uh, but the first is presents. rolling the dice on that, and why? Or just say, okay, I guess you beat me. I'll leave Sunnydale forever. Woo. Or you know, you just or you go to. Giles or Xander, or you say, well, I'm going to kill Willow. That's my next plan. So come with me. We'll go to the Rosenbergs, you know. Um, Yeah, I just, I don't, 
Yeah, I, I don't know. Like, honestly, we'll talk about this when we get to the end. But the first in this episode makes no sense to me. Oh, no. I as think, a villain. See, I think in aggregate, the first makes a lot of sense. I, I It really works for me. And again, okay. it's, it's one of these things that we don't get the explanation. But yeah. thematically, it totally works. It, it feels to me internally consistent. Thematically, it has some weight. Um, Logically, the only moment that, I don't. that trips me up is yeah. why the first evil tells Buffy how to save Angel. Why the first evil does anything, I think, is still a point of, of question for me. But we'll get to that at the end. We will. We will. So we have this this awesome showdown. Mm-hmm. The whole problem with Angel being not his demonic nature, but his weakness. Yeah. The fact that he his human remains weakness. tempted. The yes. fact that he cannot silence these voices. Mm-hmm. I love that as, as far and away the most sophisticated take we've had on Angel to yes. date. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we've spent a lot of time drawing the distinction between the man and the demon. We here on this podcast have spent a lot of time drawing the distinction between the man and the demon and to quietly, subtly, but powerfully invert that is beautiful. And, and honestly, if, if I had ever written, it's not the demon in me that needs killing, it's the man. I would I would put my keyboard uh, down. Just, I would walk away from my work. You've done everything that you need done. to do. Exactly. I'm, I will achieve no greater thing than this. This I think makes not Angel, only is it a great line, yeah. but it's delivered beautifully. It is. It's really wonderful. And this is the moment where Angel becomes interesting. Yeah. I, I think that up until now, Angel has been a little bit of a flat character for me. Well, I haven't found he him. Was, he was interesting as Angelus, and I think that that. I think he was starting to work. By the time we yeah. got to Surprise and Innocence, yeah. he was starting to work. He was starting to cohere. He was still a little bit of a little bit of a little bit of a half seasons into Buffy. Right. He has been Angelus for fully half of yeah, yeah. half of mm-hmm. one season. Mm-hmm. He was absent for you know yeah. most of the first season, mm-hmm. certainly the first half of the first season. So he hasn't been Angel on screen a great deal. You yeah. know, he's been enigmatic guy he's been you know troubled vampire dude Mm -hmm. he's brooded a lot and then he was angelus you know we haven't had a lot of angel as a person this is really our first kind of cohesive and thoughtful statement i guess becoming part one you know when we have the flashback to to whistler and that whole you know yeah we see a little bit i don't know like angel this is the moment where Angel became interesting to me. Yeah. This is the moment where I started actually caring about yeah. Angel. Because up until then, I really wasn't that I can, I can see that. interested. There's well, something about him that was Human just, frailty, and yeah. of course this is part of the thesis of Buffy the Vampire Slayer as a show, human frailty is so much more complicated and interesting than demonic evil. It absolutely is. And yeah. and the, you know, the I feel so bad, I'm so consumed by guilt, the whole broody thing, like honestly, I'm, I'm not that interested in that particular Yeah character there is a monster inside of me is a much less interesting problem to have than i am weak right and i know the man in me still can't stop yeah Mm -hmm. to what degree do you think it's true i don't think it's true i think that angel has exhibited an incredible amount of strength but i think that he battles with the man within him and also i really liked one of the things that i really liked that we saw from the first was who he was before the buffoon you know the the layabout that he had he was so young when he was turned and he had been kind of a screw-up like he hadn't had a chance as a man to be a man sure so in the ensuing you know 240 years if you don't count the hundred spent in a demon dimension um he has been <laughs> 340 years. 340 years count, uh, 340 years including the hundred in the demon dimension including the hundred in the wow. demon dimension yeah he's he's old no well, wonder no, he's taken I'm so still, many naps no, i'm still coming yeah. down on this i don't care what giles said angel was not he didn't spend 100 years in the demon dimension okay 
There, there are too many inconsistencies. How would he even remember Buffy after a hundred years of torment? Seriously. How would he even... And okay, even if he remembered Buffy, yeah. how would he remember, you know, the Garden Mansion or Sunnydale or Xander? Or, you, know, right. you would think that some of those details would have fallen a hundred years well, of torment. Well, there's paranormal ginkgo biloba, I'm sure. There's something. <laughs> I don't know. But uh, If we hadn't already decided on the title for the <laughs> paranormal episode... Paranormal ginkgo biloba. It's an embarrassment <laughs> of riches. It is. It is. But, but no, this is where angel i think becomes interesting this is where the angel that goes on into the angel series uh sort of begins this is where i think we see that complex characterization start for him i think we've seen a little of that already but certainly yeah yeah, yeah. Th- this is this is angel as a protagonist in his own right and he hasn't had an opportunity to see what he would be as a man well, if is, he hadn't been turned this is part of that philosophical discourse mm-hmm. that i was talking about earlier yeah. this is angel's fundamental existentialism yeah. he is a man who is is consumed by what it is to be a man he's yeah. all about self-determination he's mm-hmm. all about you know it's not just about doing the right thing right. it's about choosing to do the right thing the choice is what matters yes because he is in a constant fight a constant struggle mm-hmm. and as we see now not just with this demonic evil that is inside of him right not just with this supernatural hunger mm-hmm. but with his own weakness and frailty mm-hmm. that is a powerful character right there he it has really just is. stepped up a whole tier in terms of complexity and vulnerability and entanglement mm-hmm. he is now a really fully realized three-dimensional character. Yeah. And I don't honestly remember how fully we're going to explore that through the rest of the season. It's going to be very right. fun to see. Like, mm-hmm. I remember the big movements. Right. But I don't remember how much of this vision of Angel carries through the rest of the season. But you're right. By the time we hit Angel, mm-hmm. he is much more this Angel yes. than any other version this of Angel that we've that seen. This is where that guy begins. And I, I really, I absolutely. like that. So he has that great line. Buffy, though, isn't giving up. He can fight it. He can make amends. They trade blows and he knocks her to the ground. They are almost consumed by it, by the memory of what he did and the truth of what he is and the pain of still loving each other. She can't wish him dead, though she wishes she could. Angel wants to find the strength to surrender. Buffy needs him to keep fighting. I love that there's no easy way out, that it's all the suspended complexity. It's all about strength and weakness and frailty and surrender Mm -hmm. in, in this myriad of different ways. It's so good. And on the top of the hill, in the middle of a heat wave on Christmas morning in Sunnydale, it snows. There you go. That was a surprise. Where did that come out of? The most controversial beat in this the entire most season. Deus of, of Deus Ex Machina that has okay. ever happened. I'm putting the world's largest pin in that. <laughs> we will come back to that in just a moment. Let's close right. up the story and then we can talk about how it ends. Mm-hmm. Willow and Oz look out at the snow. Faith and Joyce look out at the oh, snow. And I've got to tell you. a nice moment. No kidding. Lump in the throat. Yeah, Faith and Joyce. Faith and Joyce. Coming out. Just seeing Faith's arc. Mm-hmm. And, and in part, of course, no spoilers, but in part, of course, knowing where Faith's arc yeah. will take her. Mm-hmm. Um that moment of real domestic tranquility. Yeah. And the fact, you know, it's such a quiet beat. It's dawn. Yeah. You know, it's the morning. Mm-hmm. And there's Faith and Joyce. They clearly haven't slept. Yeah. They've clearly been waiting up for Buffy. Mm-hmm. I, I love That's that nice so moment. much. Yeah. Giles is alone and Xander is in his sleeping bag in the backyard. Oh, my God. It crushes me. It I crushes know. me. This whole sequence is so yeah. good. The TV weatherman from the opening of the episode tells us that the sudden cold front is here to stay and that Sunnydale Even though won't he's see not the because sun. they're going to fire me now because I didn't <laughs> see this coming. <laughs> I don't know, man. You're predicting the weather in Sunnydale. Exactly. You may as well have a magic eight ball. <laughs> 
we see Buffy and Angel at last, hand in hand, walking down the snow-shrouded street. The exploded cotton demon. <laughs> that is the end <laughs> of our episode. All right. Here's my take on this. Yeah. Yeah, it is clearly a deus ex machina yes. ending to the episode. But here's the thing. It is literally a mm-hmm. deus ex machina. It is. Oh, which, by the way, for anybody who's not aware of what deus ex machina means, it's it's the hand of God. It's, it's when it's you have from the machine, characters. Yes. yes. It's when you have characters who, uh, who are fa- fighting a battle and everything's escalating and we've got this big climax. Then all of a sudden, out of the middle of nowhere... Uh, you know, lightning strikes or some kind yeah. of crazy thing happens that's not motivated by either of the characters. Or a superhero that no one's ever mentioned before shows right, up comes and solves in and all saves the problems. the day and yeah. solves everything and fixes it was everything. It's a fixture of Greek drama mm-hmm. because at the end, when, when all of these problems have reached their, yeah. you know, their nadir, when everything is as bad as it can possibly be, a literal, you know, God character yes. would descend from the heavens, mm-hmm. fix all the problems and restore the world to justice. Right, right, that was right. a fixture mm-hmm. of Greek tragedy. And the problem is... Deus Ex Machina has become a an insult. It's become a dirty word in storytelling. Yes. But there is a kind of Deus Ex Machina that is entirely justified. Mm-hmm. It is what J.R.R. Tolkien called eucatastrophe. Yes. It is a moment, uh, eucatastrophe, a word that Tolkien made up. That's so many <laughs> of his words were. Eucatastrophe is, is obviously Tolkien the word. Tolkien gets to make up whatever he wants. Yeah, it is the word catastrophe <laughs> with the Greek prefix you at the beginning meaning good. It is mm-hmm. a good catastrophe. It is a, a fortuitous disaster. You know, mm-hmm. It is a, a random happenstance that happens to work out for the best. This is not, strictly speaking, a deus ex machina. This is eucatastrophe. Okay. This is something that no one could have expected that no one could have anticipated, that hasn't been built up or foreshadowed in any way. In fact, we have gone to great lengths throughout the episode to foreshadow that this is impossible. Yes. That there's no reason to believe that it, it will be so another hot, blazing hot, sunny There is sunny not going to be any snow. This yeah. is a moment of eucatastrophe. This is like the eagles saving uh, Bilbo and the dwarves from the top of the trees in, in the out of the frying pan into the fire chapter, you know, in, in the middle of The Hobbit. Yeah, except this is that the eagles Gandalf calls the eagles. No, he doesn't. Doesn't he? In the book, he doesn't. In, in the, the book, movie, he he doesn't. He does, because, okay. of course, the movie <laughs> okay. in the All right. book. I'm so sorry. I even went there. <laughs> we just will let that. that go. This some is not the time for that discussion. we will talk about Peter Jackson's misunderstanding sure. of some vital elements of The Hobbit. But sure no, we will. In the book, okay. he doesn't call them. They just happen to be flying by. They right. see the dwarves and, and Gandalf in the tree, and they, they fly down and rescue them. It is just a moment of eucatastrophe, and mm-hmm. it's not the only one in The Hobbit. This yeah. is something that, that Tolkien goes to again and again. Here's the thing. Deus Ex Machina is weak when you use it because you have no solution. Right. When you shine a light on it, when you say, this is what's happened, isn't it wildly unlikely? Isn't it impossible? Isn't it unprecedented? Isn't it miraculous? That is a statement. You are doing something. Now, that that ending doesn't have to work. That you catastrophic ending doesn't have to work for you as a reader. But saying that it's cheap, I don't think is a valid criticism because... (laughs) Yeah. The story itself isn't saying this isn't cheap. It's saying this is a miracle. Okay. Similar to voiceover, flashback, yeah. the things that, that writers tend to do as a cheap escape from having to to find a, a narratively a fulfilling yeah. a narratively fulfilling <laughs> way to tell their story. Yeah. That we do find this Deus Ex Machina uh, ending happening, that we find this eucatastrophe, you know, if you will. Um 
in I am not a fan of that in general because I feel like if I'm seeing a character fight for something, then I want their fight to have oh, meaning sure. and and to be narratively fulfilling. I do not find the sudden snowstorm out of nowhere to be terribly narratively fulfilling, but I do find it to be thematically consistent because this is an episode that right. is very much about the metaphysics of the world. And I like the fact I like that there is the question of what force put snow in well, Sunnydale at that moment. Is this talk about the force that. for yeah. good let's that, talk about that saves in just a Angel? Yeah. Yeah. I think that you're right. catastrophe can't be narratively fulfilling because it is literally something coming in from outside of the narrative. Yes. You can't fulfill this new edition or, and it or your existing to be story used can't be fulfilled. But cheaply. So we look at it the way that we look at flashbacks and voiceover, right. which are also not always used poorly. But Whedon didn't write himself into a corner mm-hmm. and then invoke a sudden snowstorm as a way out of it. Right. He could have had, you know, it would have been trivial for Buffy to talk Angel around right. and to pull Angel back into the garden Before the snow everyone. hit. It, yeah. It's so unspeakably trivial that we needn't even comment upon mm-hmm. it. He explicitly chooses he had already this done the catastrophic narrative ending to address this philosophical right. construct at the heart of the episode. Right. Because, you know, no coincidence, this is the episode that introduces the first evil. Yeah. You know, we are clearly addressing a theological, cosmological, philosophical construct here. Right. The likes of which we have never looked at before within the frame of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. We've mm-hmm. talked a little about good and evil. Right. We've talked a little about, you know, before the coming of mortal man, the world was this evil demonic realm. Yes. We've talked a little about that, but we've never addressed it in terms of active forces. We've addressed it in terms of predispositions, of yes. inclinations, mm-hmm. you know, of, of these complex you know in within the mortal realm and not at all complex mm-hmm. within the demonic realm forces of evil. and if there is a first evil yeah is there you know to balance that out a first good well, is there a a force of ultimate good that is also at work in the universe we're going to have to address Something, the kind of thing that we don't normally address here on Dustin. Yeah. And it's the kind of thing about which I'm very skeptical. And I'm not going to take Whedon's word as, you know, the word of God right. here. But he's talked a lot about this ending. Mm-hmm. Um, partly, I think, because it is so controversial. There are yes. people out there who love it. There are people out there for whom the ending of this episode mm-hmm. is the best moment of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, period. There are people out there who hate this episode with the fiery passion of a thousand suns. Yeah. Whedon has come out more than once and addressed the ending. He has said that... The snowfall is hope, that it is magical, that mm-hmm. it is supernatural, that it may be depending on, you know, mm-hmm. the associations you have with the word miraculous. Yes. And that it is caused by minor, minor spoilers for the future of Buffy, I guess, the powers that be. Which is, this yes. stand in for essentially, you know, God. Right. Which is a, a different thing that we're going to deal with. No huge spoilers. We've spoiled Angel for a certain amount, but I mean, in, in the Angel series, yeah, no, that becomes it's more part of, a of the setup of the it's Angel part TV of this, show. Is that he has yeah. a destiny, that, and he is being guided by the powers that be. Right. Joss Whedon has said that the snowfall was put in place by the powers that be mm-hmm. to save Angel to preserve his destiny. To preserve his destiny. That this really yeah. is an act of goodness to mm-hmm. balance the act of the first evil. We don't need to believe him we don't need to pay any attention right. to and what joss whedon says the thing is that in this moment yeah well this is what i wanted to talk yeah. to you about because mm-hmm. 
I'm obviously very invested in the philosophical conversation in, in this yeah. framework that's presented. You, I think, a little less so. I think it's a very interesting conversation. Not looking at the mechanics, mm -hmm. not looking at the catastrophe itself. Emotionally, how does the snowfall work for you? It leaves me a little cold. It hey! leaves me, I, oh, I didn't even mean. Hey! I didn't even mean pun intended. I didn't even have a pun. Uh, but yeah, it does. It um, For me, while I completely appreciate that narratively we achieved what we needed to achieve in this climax, that, that narratively it was about um, Angel and Buffy finally speaking to the core of what is dividing them, what is keeping them yeah. apart, um, and, and what is drawing them together at the same time. And I think that narratively that is, that is handled. I think that the, uh, while I am seriously, seriously not a fan of Deus Ex Machina, I find it to be almost, almost universally cheap. Oh, um, and, and it is almost, almost universally cheap. When it is yes. used, it is, it is almost universally yes. in a cheap way. Like um, voiceover, like flashback, 99.9% .9 of the times that it's used by writers, it is right. used poorly. But then something like Lost will happen, something yeah. like Veronica Mars will happen, and there are places for that kind of storytelling. You have to know what you're doing to make sure that it doesn't undercut your narrative. In this particular instance, I feel like the, the you catastrophe of it does not undercut the narrative at the same time i do feel like overall and that is without any external any extra textual you know information anything that i know of the future of mm -hmm. this story world um i find it to be uh the, that the first at this point is really weak sauce i have no understanding of the motivation what they're doing why they're doing it what the the power is aside from getting inside somebody's head and screwing with them um there's well, no real physical presence of the first, aside from the harbingers who run well, at but the, the site of Buffy. Of or at the presence, sense of Buffy. Yeah. The absence of a physical presence, I would argue, actually makes, because this is a bad guy that Buffy can't punch. It is a bad guy that Buffy can't punch, but it's also a bad guy that can't really, I mean, well, it's, it's I, I messing think, with Angel's head, but, but manipulation psychologically, and once you get once you understand what it is you're dealing with and you get past that, that's another thing. But is, is part of the problem here that you don't buy the threat to Angel is part of the problem here that you don't ever believe that Angel's going to go bad again in this episode. I that's part of it. Yeah. It's it's part of it is that there is I don't understand what the first is trying to do and the fact that when the first says, "Oh, well that wasn't the plan," but you know, that's fine too. When the first sends Buffy after well, Angel knowing that Buffy could easily undermine whatever the plan is. No, okay, that one point. Yes. The the, the I think first that's sending a point Buffy after that Angel piles on a lot of other weaknesses in this in this antagonist in this episode i don't see any of that stuff as weakness none of it makes any sense why are they doing this what is the point no, what is it they're trying to make there's happen? a difference i think between something not being explained and something not making sense i think that it, it's not explained yeah you're right but i think that there's plenty of space and internal consistency if the first evil exists to mm -hmm. simply be evil then turning angel bad would be evil yeah, that's chaotic evil. There's no real purpose to that. It's just but another evil thing in the world. It doesn't that's possibly a read on what the first evil is. Possibly, but I don't find it very narratively interesting. I I like a lot of what is in this episode. I like a lot of the moment to moment stuff. I feel like the first evil at this point 
um, is not interesting, is not, does not make me feel threatened, does not make me worry. Um, But you're not supposed, I I would argue that you're not supposed to be worried about the first evil per se. You're supposed to be worried for Angel's soul. Well, I mean, that's a, yeah, I'm not worried about Well, see, that I think is a much greater problem. The first evil aside, I think the fact that you don't actually fear for Angel's safety and the consequence of him falling again. I'm a little bored by Angel's constant bathing in the pit of guilt and shame. I understand that he has done terrible things and he's going to feel bad about them. And God knows, I feel guilty about, you know, I, I hit a bird. Drive, the bird would not get out of the thing. We hit a bird in the car the other day, and I still feel guilty about that, you know? But <laughs> Through no fault of our own. Through no fault yeah. of our own. Hit a bird, and I'm still, I still, I, I hit a raccoon in 1991 driving the van, and I still feel bad about that. So, I mean, I understand, like, feeling guilty. Like, uh, nobody understands that better than me. Um, but I'm not interested in watching characters struggle with their guilt and their shame for me i find it um i find it really boring i find it really self-indulgent and it just tends to grate on me after a while angel was bad he did terrible things and i understand that but he's here now and he could be a force for good so be a force for good he's here now having been see i I think that in part in part we're kind of suffering in our interpretation of this episode because we know because we Mm -hmm. know okay again Tiny minor spoilers. Obviously, there's going to be an Angel TV show. Obviously, he's going to be around for a while. Right. We know that we're never going to satisfactorily explain why he came back to Earth. But we without know- the extratextual stuff. I mean, even without all of that, based purely on this episode. See, I, I find like- the extratextual stuff makes this episode more fulfilling than I feel less. that if you watch this episode without knowing what's coming, and you buy the explanation that the first evil brought... brought- Angel back. Brought Angel back because he's just inherently dangerous and it doesn't matter and he's sooner or later going to fall. Mm -hmm. I find that to be not perhaps the most rewarding, but at least a convincing and compelling argument for what the first evil is trying to accomplish. It's complicated by the extra textual stuff. But I I mean, I'm not trying to convince you. I completely see why it doesn't work for you. It works for me in a much more rich and complete way because I'm not paying attention to the first evil the first evil, even the name itself, implies As a force. it's not a present, like, yeah. you know, it, it's not antagonistic in the traditional sense. It's not a monster of the week mm-hmm. in the traditional sense. It is a much more primal and basic and thematic force. Well, this is, I, I think, I mean, this episode is an internal antagonist story. This is angel versus angel. Um, and um, I think that the first evil has sort of hopped on an opportunistic... Yeah. Uh, situation. Well, no, I, I would say I would say that the first evil is the antagonist here because without the prompting, Angel would never have Angel wouldn't have been consumed by this. Angel would absolutely be. Angel is always consumed by his no, guilt and no, his. You know, I think this is I, to I this extent. Yeah, saying. it's and worse. It's an opportunistic well, infection. The when you go yeah. to the well over and over, mm-hmm. certainly you know you're going to run the risk of people getting tired of the yeah, same well. Yeah, but. I think for me, this revelation in the last act of the story Mm -hmm. that it's not the demon, it's the man that completely changes the nature of the engagement. That to me tells an internal story that regardless of whether the first was there or not, he would still have that weakness. That weakness was always there within him. Yes. Angel's ongoing conflict is internal. Mm -hmm. I think that the, the sequence of events that we see in this episode is clearly driven by 
the first evil. You can argue, yeah. I guess, the first evil playing on weaknesses and insecurities. That the first existed. evil is hopping on an internal antagonism that already existed within okay. Angel. And basically what it is, is it's coming in and amplifying something that was already existing there. And I find Perhaps. this actually more Which interesting as an internal antagonism very story. very interestingly to the concept of evil in the Buffyverse. <laughs> Absolutely. I think that there's there's some things. I, I, I understand all of the things that appeal to you in this episode. Mm. I just don't find that enough to get over what I feel is is kind of a narrative wooliness. No, and to I, it. I completely see that. And, um, and, uh, and, know, and honestly, the end, like, I like that line. It's not well, the okay. demon in me that needs killing, it's the man, but the rest of it I want does to offer, not. I will do offer much for one me. final kind of okay. take and perspective right. on that climax, and then we'll move on to some of the fun stuff in the rest of the episode, yes. I think. The reason for me that the U catastrophe isn't just thematically valid, but mm-hmm. is actually narratively necessary is that. We have the, these two opposed people, okay? Angel wishes that he had the strength to yeah. die. Mm-hmm. Buffy wishes that he had the strength to continue to fight. The reason that we end this episode with you catastrophe is that there is no resolution to that conflict. Mm-hmm. Well, Angel can't yeah. win. Buffy can't win. Yeah. Within the frame of the conflict that they themselves have defined, mm-hmm. you know, I can't be with you. I can't be without you. I can't live. I can't die. I mm-hmm. can't fight. I can't surrender. None of these options are possible. Yeah. The only resolution is this you catastrophic resolution, mm-hmm. which in and of itself isn't a resolution. Well, and keeps the conflict in play. If you're looking it doesn't, at you're right, Buffy it doesn't and Angel resolve that walking conflict. down the street at yeah. the end of the episode and you're thinking, oh, great, those Happily two crazy kids after. are going to work it out. Yeah. Awesome. Then you're then misunderstanding what this episode and okay. what this story uh, fair is. Fair enough. I mean, I think honestly that this is one of the circumstances of you catastrophe that I would say, all right, fair enough. You know, oh, um, of, of the handful that exists. Of yeah. the handful yeah. that exists because it is almost always yeah. just a, a cheap narrative but band-aid Whedon has such a mastery of mm-hmm. theme that yeah. and, and, and i still and find it because there's all the symbolism too of the snow you know yeah. it didn't have to be snow yeah but it's snow because snow is pure and mm-hmm. it is you know inherently <laughs> snow on christmas morning in particular yes it's mm-hmm. inherently magical mm-hmm. there are ways there are mean mechanical narrative ways to circumvent mm-hmm. the 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 irreconcilable, you know, conflict at the end of this episode. Yeah. But Whedon goes for something ballsy. He goes for something magical. He goes for something thematic. He goes for something you catastrophic. Mm-hmm. And, and again, I am never going to tell anyone you are wrong if this doesn't work for you. I completely see why it wouldn't work for you. Mm-hmm. All I will say is that for me personally, it works. It is on the yeah. money. And I see why it works for you. I mean, I do, yeah. especially these very, very strong, really interesting and crunchy philosophical lines that yeah. we see drawn. Um, Giles, Xander, Oz, everybody has kind of a philosophical, you know, area that they are putting their stake in, you know, um, so to speak. <laughs> God, I'm, I'm puns everywhere. It's like puns are us today. I'm not meaning the to. The weather forecast said there would be no puns, but this pun storm has blown up from the south. <laughs> Don't expect to see the sun today, people. It's just puns as far just as the puns. Just puns. Just um, puns. But yeah, I mean, I, I feel like there's there's there are these strong philosophical spaces from which all of these these yeah. forces are kind of interacting. And I find it interesting, like intellectually interesting on that level. But emotionally, I don't really respond to this episode yeah. 
in its entirety, moment to moment. I love seeing my Xander, the Xander who yeah, I remember. Yeah. I love seeing him. I love Faith. As much as Faith narratively is not really, I think, a, a deep necessity within this episode, thematically she fits in. Um, and I love seeing her vulnerability and I love seeing her having this one moment of domestic tranquility with Joyce having having a parental moment for once in her life, you know, a, a traditional yeah. experience. Yeah. Um, I love what we see of Giles. I absolutely adore what we see of Giles in this episode and and how much that characterization is so consistent with we we add these we see these new elements of Giles you know as we move forward as you see in everybody I as you move like through a series saying this over yeah. and over again, Giles is the best man yeah. the reason that we keep saying it is because we keep exploring it in new ways yeah and we, we keep see arriving at new, new evidence like yeah. and that's one of the things I love about this series in particular but but a lot of television series is, is this ability to constantly show us how our characters sometimes they're huge massive character arcs and sometimes it's just this mild exploration of things that have already been there this deeper exploration and understanding of what it is that makes this particular man yeah. um, and I love that we get that with Giles consistently throughout the series and this is one of those moments that is somewhat quiet and can be you know somewhat like left behind in all the the big drama between uh, Buffy and Angel but this is a huge huge exploration of Giles and it works so well because Whedon, as always, mm. is committed to delivering consequence. There's yes. no reason, you know, we didn't have to address it at mm. all. We didn't have to have this moment with the crossbow. We didn't have right. to have this beat between Giles and Angel at all. Yeah. Giles could just have gotten over it and yeah. everything would have been fine. He could have forgiven Angel for the crimes of Angelus, mm-hmm. you know, as so many characters in the Buffyverse will do, have. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love that we're holding to it. I love that we're just taking the opportunity to play it out. Yeah. I love that we're holding to that consequence. And that's true, obviously, for, for Willow mm-hmm. and Oz, too. Well, Angel saved Willow's life, so she kind of likes him again. <laughs> oh, I, I was meaning less them versus right. Angel. Uh, yeah. And more just the consequence the con- of the, the yeah. great betrayal. Well, uh, <laughs> yeah. But I mean, there's, this whole episode, though, also dances around this theme of forgiveness. It does. Know? It does to a certain degree. And the degree. potential yeah. for forgiveness. Um, yeah. It's almost... It's almost not forgive. It's well. <laughs> here I am, of course, struggling to find the perfect word to encapsulate what this episode is Could really about. Could it possibly about. be amends? It, maybe it is. Uh, it maybe might it's be. A, yeah. I think amends it's, it's atonement. is more. It's, it's, it's atonement. right. It's not You're forgiveness. Right. It's You're atonement. Right. You're right. And I think that yes, that that ripples out mm-hmm. through the entire episode with the intersection of Giles and Angel, of course, with the intersection of Willow and Oz, of course, yeah. with Xander and kind of the world. Yeah. He's not making it up specifically to someone because he can't make it yeah. up to the person that matters the most. So he's going to atone for his sins. He's just going to be a better, a better guy. Yeah, which know? is a fascinating thing to do with Xander. Yeah. yeah. It's <laughs> I really can't say enough. There's good a, about I, I'm this not going to say there isn't a lot Let's of good get stuff to the here. Very complicated discussion of All where right. this episode goes on the big list of every Buffy episode ever. Yeah. I'll it, for me for what I go to Buffy for. Yes. For the brilliant and bewildering and beautiful execution. Uh-huh. For this miraculous script that includes some of the best work that we've seen from Joss Whedon to date. You know, and not just one line. For me, yes, it's not the demon in me that needs killed, it's the man. Yeah. That is a standout line. Mm-hmm. But maybe my top three or four or five lines from Buffy the Vampire Slayer are all yeah. in this episode. Mm-hmm. All the stuff from Giles, you know, when Angel, yeah. that that interaction, when Angel says, you know, you have to invite me in before or I can't come. Right. And Giles says, I know. Oh, and from Jenny, you were born to hurt her. You were born to hurt her. Oh, man, yeah. No, you I have mean, a talent for cruelty. Uh, you, uh, yeah. 
that we skipped out. I didn't write it down. I wish that I had when Giles is talking to Angel, when Jenny first appears in Giles's yeah. apartment and Giles is talking to Angel and saying, you know, do you deserve peace of mind? Yeah. To put it bluntly, sir. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. It's so good. Yeah. It's just hair on the back of my neck, mm-hmm. tingles in my fingertips. Good. It's <laughs> astonishing. This episode for me, completely acknowledging its flaws and completely acknowledging that that I am a very specific target audience yes. for this episode. <laughs> For me, it is number one. Okay. I don't think, and not, it won't be number one at the end of the run. I'm not saying that this is, you know, something other than, you yeah. know, so, something truly exceptional within the realm of Buffy. But for me, as hard as it is, I think it beats Lover's Walk. It beats Becoming. It beats Passion. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> when I first watched this, I mean, like the first time I watched this, I was like, eh you know about it um and i have been that way in every rewatch ever since i've always felt kind of like i've never hated this episode but i've never particularly loved this episode (laughs) um and coming back to it this time i felt pretty much the same way like it left me i think intellectually it has a lot to offer from from uh, i mean look at all the things we've talked about look how long this this episode of dusted (laughs) is going to be um there's a lot of meat on this bone and i think that that intellectually and philosophically from a a perspective of looking at the metaphysics of buffy and what buffy actually means which is huge and which is part of the reason why you can go back to buffy so many times and watch it over and over and over again and still get something new from it um narratively for me it felt soft it it feels like i'm just i just don't feel like it's it, it's going much of anywhere it doesn't have it a tight central doesn't plot. have a lot of momentum um it doesn't no that's and well, the uh, end aside from that structure. one line leaves me cold um the flashbacks ugh, you know it's, yeah but it, it's not the flashbacks themselves uh, part of the indication of the weak structure is that right. we just we keep cutting to oh it's another night and angels having another dream oh yeah. it's another night and angels having another dream mm-hmm. this episode takes place over the course of what must be five or six days uh, he's and that 340 is years old the man naps a lot yeah um <laughs> no i could buy that right. multiple dreams in one night i could buy were it not for interstitial uh, everything scenes, of other people clearly doing you know things it's the next day it's the next yeah, day it's yeah the next day so no which is I, which is fine for it to last a week or whatever i think is okay but um, it's a week that doesn't there's, there's no reason for it to last a week other than we keep cutting back to angel well and it's dreaming. the length of his torment and all of that i think that's okay that doesn't really bother me um but uh, but as far as like where I was going to put it, you know, before we have this discussion, I had it in like the, you know, number 20, the the <laughs> lie to me and reptile boy era. That's a long way down. That's a, a long way down. Between here and there. I will say after having had this discussion that I would absolutely move it higher. Okay. And much higher. Okay. Number one. I cannot do and, and honestly because I don't lovers walk. I cannot okay. because lovers walk. Can I make a pitch? Yes. What is your pitch? I think that if I can to try to set aside the things that are you know uniquely uh-huh. <laughs> uniquely catnip for me about this. Right, episode, right, right. Know, this is Alistair Bate the exactly. episode. <laughs> if I can try and kind of disentangle the things that I love about it and just yeah. look at it a little more objectively, I would put it pretty much bang alongside something like passion. Okay, so that's number three on our list. In terms of the way that it's written, Uh in terms of the depth of the character, in terms of the variety, Mm -hmm. I see 
I, it, it feels kind of passionate. The, the episode below passion is I only have eyes for you. Right. And maybe it feels a little like I only have eyes for you too, in as much as it's, we're kind of removing ourselves from the main flow of the story and we're doing something a little stylistically different. Right. We're doing something a little more abstract, a little more thematic. Um, but I don't know. I mean, if we're talking about below I ending, only have eyes for you, then you're going to have to convince me. I honestly would put it between band candy and what's my line. I would put it under band candy, but above what's my line. See, band candy falls into... <laughs> well, see, no. Band candy, though, is Lonnie Catnip. <laughs> no, sure, sure, sure. I can see that. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely all of the things that I love. Band candy, for me, falls into this trap of, of it, it's a silly episode. It's, it's a, a hugely fun right. and enjoyable episode, mm-hmm. but it doesn't have consequence. This episode is all about consequence, not yeah. just for the fundamental conflicts that we've established in Buffy the Vampire Slayer, but basically this is the turning point in in the season. You know, mm-hmm. we are moving from in a, I realize it's not at the midpoint, yeah. but in a very real, functional, muscular sense, we're moving from the first half of season three into the second half of season three. Okay, this is like the surprise and innocence turning point. It it's is like the angel. It turning is. Point. It's a midpoint for the season. This is a really strong, pivotal episode in that sense. So. For me, for the things that I love about Buffy, yeah. not just as, you know, <laughs> yeah. as the person I am, but, but as a as a critic, as a story expert, the things that I love about Buffy are always story-based. Yes. So an episode that is this pivotal and important and well-written and well-executed is going to beat a, a silly, fluffy episode, a right. joke episode, every time. So that's my personal, you know. Right. <laughs> okay, okay. So here's the thing. Okay, there's the, an obvious okay. point of compromise. No, no, no. Because the thing is, I started out at like 20. Okay. All right. <laughs> I started out at 20. No, but here's here's where I'm okay. here's where I'm coming with you. Okay. Let me let me finish. Okay. I okay. started out at 20, not through your pulling me. Right. You know, not through a sense of compromise, but through after we've had this discussion, yeah. we've gone through all of it. I've I've kind of intellectualized my response to the the story. I do feel like narratively is so, it's soft. I do feel sure. like philosophically it's very strong, um, and that the Fair moment to moment work yeah. is uh, is is really really good. That we've got a lot of fantastic moment to moment work. So there, I land at number seven. You know, uh, below band candy, above. So that's not from you pulling me. That's okay. from me changing my opinion sure, sure, sure. as we talk about it more. Um, so I can, I, I don't think, I don't think I can go like I above. I only have eyes for you. I think I only have eyes for you is better than amends, but I would, I will compromise up to number five Between and bumping down the wish. I think I could, I think I could do that. I'm trying to think about this episode versus the wish. Yeah. Yeah. No, I can see what you're saying. And and let's face it, I only have eyes for you is also, you know, and, Lonnie and When we're in the top ten. When we're in the top ten, it is like oh, no, the difference sure. between these is like the smidgen. Of course, it is of not course. there is no gulf. Between yeah, and I don't any want to pull episodes. you toward, you know, a No, but I feel like a compromise. I feel because... like a state of compromise is you know, this particular episode personally. I don't respond to it. I, the yeah. the emotional no, no, no. Can, beats at the end that. with Angel and Buffy at this point, like I, can I see you know, objectively matching it with "I only have eyes for you." But and I'm happy with it being below "I only yeah. have eyes for you." I think that's a good spot okay. for it. And, okay. and, and no, I was I was working through. Do I feel that? Do I feel like intuitively and emotionally that that amends is better than the wish? And yeah, I think it is. I think I right. think it's 
it's not just an episode I like more. I think it is a better episode than The Wish. Yeah, because, I think for I mean, me it's a We spent marginal... half of last week's episode talking about the holes in The Wish and how none of it makes a blind bit of sense. And how yeah. You know, because it's one thing to leave spaces and just not explain what the first evil is trying to do. Right, and it's I don't mind the questions. It's quite another to build a construction that's just holy and like... Yeah, like, the, and, and questions that are left angle. open for a, like, a philosophical discussion, I think, are more interesting than things that feel like they were... Um, kind of haphazardly constructed oh yeah you know what i'm saying like something that's well (laughs) constructed (laughs) but leaves questions is fine something that's haphazardly constructed Mm -hmm. and has questions because there are very blatant holes in in whatever they were doing i think is is a different level of of skill and craft yeah Um, where we have to infer as much as i love the wish and you know my my bizarro world yeah any of the any of the bizarro worlds i'm going to love obviously those are my personal catnip but i think that from a from a separate, like, this, the emotional moments in this at the end with Angel and Buffy, aside from it's not the demon, it's the man, mm-hmm. aside from that, all of it I find a little treacly, I, a I little bit saccharine. I don't really enjoy that ending. But, I mean, that's a personal response. Yeah. But I think that from an intellectual response, do I think, I think I could put it at number five. I think there's something about, I think having this episode hang out right next to I Only mm-hmm. Have Eyes for You is kind of fitting. Yeah. I think yeah. that there is a... There's a certain... A kind of symmetry, symmetry. like a yeah. weird kind of symmetry yeah. between those two episodes. Um, not least of all because both episodes offer a kind of resolution mm-hmm. that is not a real resolution. Yeah, you yeah. Know? They, they offer, and Angel have they a, offer a resolution the that is about the, the conflict remains. Yeah, exactly. There's a resolution exactly. to the to the episodic, yeah. you know, antagonism, but the essential conflict has not budged an inch because it will yeah. always be there. And that's not it, that's not bad. It's not static in the sense that we're not doing anything with it or that we're right. simply maintaining a status quo. No, I Only Have Eyes for brilliant. You is incredibly important to yeah. both Angel and Buffy. Mm-hmm. But it... It doesn't solve the problem, but it, yeah, even though it complicates, it entrenches us yeah. even more in in the stalemate, in in the things that will not change and that have not been right resolved. because there are things you can't give up and there right. are things that you can't sacrifice yeah. and there are things that you can't live with. And without. so you're that's still stuck ongoing. with that, and that's the big story. You know, and, right. that's the and big that, story conflict. That conflict to is resolve exactly the episodic conflict. there are things you can't give up. There are things you can't sacrifice. There are things you can't live right. without. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I'm 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 okay. happy with that. Yeah, okay, I feel good about that. So number five on the list. All right, amends. There you go. This has been a really fun discussion. I have to say, as much as I, I've never really enjoyed this episode, talking about this episode was a lot more fun. <laughs> it really was. It's and very we're, interesting. We're running so very long, of course. I wish we had yeah. a little more time to talk about uh, to talk about Oz the Kantian agent and to talk Oz, about Oz the Kantian and all agent. Of stuff. The I good know. news is, of course, we're going to have a lot of opportunities in the future to talk about exactly yeah, that we certainly will. kind of kind of philosophy. Oz is only going to get more interesting and more complicated as we go forward. Mm-hmm. The same is true for Giles, of course. Yes. Xander. There's a ton of stuff to All look of forward these to. Characters. I'm mm-hmm. going to be particularly interested to look at this episode as an inflection point in the third season. Yeah. And to look at where we go from here. Unfortunately, where we go from here <laughs> <laughs> after a string of of at least, you know, fan favorite episodes. Yeah. If not universally uh, lauded episodes. Yeah. We're kind of coming up on something that that people don't generally regard so favorably. We're going to look next week at Gingerbread, though. If you've been sticking with us through Dusted, you know that sometimes these episodes that everyone hates turn out to be our favorite. Turn out to be pretty good. Yeah, we'll see when we get there. And it is Jane Espenson. 
Uh, Jane Espenson. I love Jane Espenson. Um, so we'll see. Yeah. We'll see how right. it works out. <laughs> that is Gingerbread for next week. Uh, let's have a brief spoiler section after okay. the music. There are some things that we must As if address. we haven't if we spoiled haven't enough already spoiled in this. the future. Yes. Yeah, there's a lot to talk about. Guys, thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for your support. If you would like more Dusted from us, if a two-hour episode of this week isn't <laughs> enough for you, then head on over to our Patreon page, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash Storywonk. There you can pledge a dollar a month or whatever you can afford you can help us do more things make more podcasts put out more shows on a more consistent basis and you can bring us ever closer to that magical goal of double dusted at which point we will put out two episodes of dusted every a week. week when we wrap up season three of buffy we will kick production into overdrive and you will get a buffy episode and, and an, an angel. angel episode yes every week until the shows exciting are done. stuff it's gonna be like a fast 18 months of podcast behavior that is gonna be kind of a, an insane thing yeah you know, we didn't talk about it i guess <laughs> yeah. one of the consequences of amends is that I am now really looking forward to watching Angel again. Oh, yeah. Really looking forward yeah. to it. No, I'm really looking forward to it, too. So I can't wait to get into that. If you would like to make that happen, patreon.com slash storywonk, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash storywonk. We are, of course, always unbelievably grateful and awed by our generous patrons. Yes, You guys make you. this entire thing possible. So thank you, thank you, thank you for your support. If you don't have a dollar a month or if you are looking for some other way to help us do this thing we do, head on over to iTunes and leave a rating or a review reviews are particularly helpful yes. for attracting new listeners so if you can head on over there or simply tell a friend spread the word find a friend who knows about buffy but doesn't know about us and mm -hmm. put those hands together make <laughs> happiness happen in the world we will be back right after the music with a short spoiler section but if you aren't sticking around we will see you next week for gingerbread until then i'm alistair stevens and i'm lonnie diane rich and this is dusted So we can talk a little about Xander's home life, and we can, of yeah. course, talk a little about the first evil. But mm -hmm. I want to begin this spoiler zone with Faith. Oh, yeah. Because this episode is heartbreaking I when know. you know what's coming next. I know. To have this moment of peace, this hope for redemption, yeah. and it doesn't connect, it doesn't last, it doesn't endure, simply because we were too busy with Angel to pay attention to Faith. Right. You don't That's notice Faith so in this episode if you don't know what's coming. You don't really think much about it except for that, oh, Faith has come back to the fold, that little tiff that they had. And also that Faith doesn't really have any need for redemption just yet. She is you know, pre the fall, you know, but she needs things that she's, she's clearly so, not getting. so incredibly vulnerable and so brittle yeah. and fragile. And, um, and that anything could send her spiraling off into complete darkness and to have this moment of magic, you know, uh, with Joyce and to have to go somewhere where she was invited, but to an invitation that she refused. And yet there's still yeah. a gift there waiting for her that she, that there is a place that is willing to bring her in, you know. We're going to suspend Faith's storyline for the next few episodes. And, yeah. you know, besides Gingerbread, we've got a lot of good stuff to look right. forward to. Uh -huh. uh, we're four episodes out, though, from Bad Girls. We're four episodes oh, out from actually man. hitting that turning point. Um, yeah. What a lot of people regard as the real turning point in the season, I would argue that this episode, that amends kind of amends and bad girls between the two of them do right. everything that we're going to do in the season um so we're four episodes out and that's it and you then know, we're, things we're, are really going to heat up and it's yeah. so so good i'm just i'm so excited about this moment of suspended 
the, just the possibility of redemption. No, that what if I the love first evil that, hadn't yeah. showed up and we hadn't been distracted by Angel, yeah. if Buffy had just spent Christmas with her mother and with Faith, yeah. everything could have been different. Well, I mean, that's the thing. It's it's so close. You see her get yeah. so close to being healed, you know, to having some of that damage within her. Um, and the you know, courage that over. she shows, you yeah. know, because she blows In Buffy off when up, she goes right. to the motel room. Yeah. But the courage that she shows in actually showing up at Buffy's house, that can't be that's easy. Huge. You know, with yeah. her crappy gifts. Which exactly. I love how Eliza Dushku plays that off. But oh, also yeah. you see the huge vulnerability there. These really are crappy These, gifts. Yeah, I got them at a gas station. Yeah. You can, yeah. I mean, it's just... I, I love what's being done with Faith. I also love the fact that she is, that she is kind of sliding under the radar yeah. at this point. She is going to be so pivotal. Given how to this splashy season. she was when she showed up, and how splashy she's gonna be. Yeah, no, sure. Uh, yeah, to I keep mean, her on this low burn, but yeah. also to keep that low burn. We're not just not paying attention to her yeah. as we did with, say, Angel in season one right. or the first half of season two. Mm -hmm. We're we're actively kind of progressing her story we're just doing it in just really in this incredibly way. subtle and incremental way yeah. um which i think is beautiful beautiful controlled um um disciplined storytelling and i, I love that it's it's tough stuff but yeah. it, it really does the lump in the throat when she oh. comes out with joyce oh, and they've God. been up all it's night so they've clearly been talking and how There's close a she there. is to having a different future yeah. You know, but if you know what her future is, it becomes even more heartbreaking and, and that's, sad. Yeah, that's one of the really interesting things that we're never really going to look at with Faith. That it's yeah. not, we're, we're going to study her decline and fall. Yeah. You know, we're going to study who she is. We're going to study her Hamartia, yeah. of course, her, her Greek tragic flaw that, yeah. that, that brings down her character. We're going to look at all of that in some depth and with some complexity, but we're not going to ever look at the alternative. Yeah. And when you look at this episode and you see, you know, for the want of a nail, the kingdom was lost. For, for the, the want of a day. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Everything could have been different. Yeah. Um, or perhaps it couldn't, you know? Perhaps Faith's, or Marsha, perhaps her what tragic flaw would have been. What is meant to be? Meant to be. The perhaps anyway. the, the only thing that makes Faith who she is is having that experience maybe you know maybe. Um, we'll, we'll, we'll have a lot of time it's, to it's talk about it. It's fascinating and watching Faith with that understanding of what happens makes this gives this episode i think so much more meaning and depth and and just you know punch to the heart yeah no i completely agree let's talk a little about xander and xander's All right. family this is the first time we talk about xander's yeah. we get a little bit of his family not being maybe you know, perfect, <laughs> like yeah, being there have somewhat been troubled implications, but we don't get the sense that he comes from, you know, basically an alcoholic, possibly abusive family, mm -hmm. you know, um, and it gives a whole different perspective on who Xander is um, and what it is that he struggles with. Um, and I think it makes his vulnerability here makes him so much more complex. I think that there, I don't think that there's a single character that comes out of amends without being more complex, without us having a deeper understanding of who they are. Maybe Joyce, um, <laughs> just because no, she doesn't no, give that much. Even Joyce, because yeah. of the way that she blows off the invitation to Giles. Oh, Even there's that. Joyce and that she stays up all night sparkle. with Faith. Yeah. And yeah, I think that there well, is... Well, her connection with Faith was established early on. And it's, yeah. it's or I, I love the way that Joyce interacts with <laughs> with the people who orbit Buffy. Oh, whether I love it's Faith Joyce and Spike, Spike is my favorite. Or the brief moments she has with Angel oh, yeah. are all great. Yeah. Um, no, I, I love Joyce in that role. This is, uh, Joyce has long since turned into the character that now, I remember Joyce, just Now, Joyce, and I'm loving this. Xander yeah. is who I remember him yeah. as. Joyce is who I remember her as. I'm feeling so much better about these characters. Yeah, and yet we're going to see 
Th- this transition for Xander isn't yeah. an entirely or unambiguously positive one. Yeah. Because we're looking at his family life. We're looking at the standards to which he holds himself, the yeah. choices that he makes, the guilt that he feels, the ways he seeks to atone. We're going to see some of that play out a long time from now. You yeah. Know? A lot of the stuff that's going to develop between Xander and Anya mm-hmm. has its roots in this kind of... I don't know. Xander's essential self-loathing is so much a part of who he is. And it's funny because that is something that we see a lot of that we're hit over the head with Angel's self-loathing, you know, and that he has real reason. He has real terrible, horrible things, you know, unambiguously horrible that he's done. Xander, I think his self-loathing comes from not what he's done, but who he is. So like Angel is guilt and Xander is shame. You know? Yeah, in, in, in a sense. And, and we see, of course, Xander's <laughs> self-deprecating yeah. wit from the very first time he shows up. He's mm-hmm. that guy, and that's fine. But what we see here, when we start to inform his backstory and we give him this family life, mm-hmm. it turns from being, you know, he's the geeky outcast yeah. to he's an actual human being who had a really troubled Who's and imperfect and disharmonious tormented. childhood. By yeah. by his history. And that is going yeah. to speak to, you know, commitment problems. Well, know, and the fact that Cordelia knew all about it. And, yeah. and they were never going to say anything. So he, Cordelia oh, knew about it. And love. Willow must have known, but never said a word. Never looked at... I mean, Willow and yeah. Xander have been friends since no, they were well, Willow children. must have known, but she I think Willow knew, you know, long since that this is not a thing that you but talk about. We don't about. talk about it, yeah. But certainly when Xander says, you know, I wish that we kept that confidence, you know... Yeah private whatever that line is that he says to cordelia you kind of you feel that pang for the intimacy Uh, that was lost well and also just that sense of of shame that he comes from bad stock i think in his head like he can't separate where he comes from from who he is that his family is poor that his family has drunken arguments at christmas that alcoholic possibly abusive um that he is that the highlight of his christmas experience is sleeping outside alone yeah um, it, which is such an incredibly sad and heartbreaking And when you thing. see it happen, I mean, yeah. when the snow is falling on him and you see him out there with his cookies and his comic books, yeah. and you're like, oh my God, he's been doing this. This is I, his, I don't know. This maybe, is his Christmas I'm, tradition. Yeah, ex- that's exactly this it. This is maybe his I'm escape. It, but cookies and comic books, he's been doing this since he was seven years yeah. old. Oh, absolutely. You know, if only the Rosenberg celebrated Christmas. And this is as happy a very as, different experience. But this but, is as happy as Christmas gets for him. Yeah. Like that to me is, is such... A revealing thing about Xander. And it makes him so much more heroic. You yeah. know, his ability to well, at least partially and imperfectly overcome that yeah. makes him a much better man. And we spend almost no time looking at that. We, it's we do. All it's there, something right that's, in the periphery. It's in there in the background, but yeah. you've really got to read it. We don't talk about it in a way that is we don't deal but, with xander's family much until you know the wedding yeah no you exactly. know which is season it's a six long way out. and it's even a long way then out. it's you know it's played for laughs it's but not, we're going to yeah. see elements of this this the, when we say that we're not going to deal with this it's not that it's going to be forgotten yeah this is going to inform it's always going to be part of xander's, xander's character, character. Yeah. Yeah. yeah well you know after graduating high school what we yeah. see what happens to Absolutely. him after that um it's uh yeah oh god it's good stuff it, it really is incredibly incredible 
incredibly crunchy, it just opens stuff. up so much more depth yeah. and understanding of Xander. And I do like the way that it reflects with Angel. Angel is guilt. Guilt is, you know, feeling bad over what you do. And Xander is shame, is feeling bad over who you who are. You are. No, and I which is harder to escape. Beautiful. I think I, Which I is think harder to atone for. Put your who finger you directly are. on it. Yeah, yeah. Or what you do. That's um, why Xander yeah. at his best is, you know. <laughs> Xander's personal torment I find much more interesting than Angel's. I, I, have we talked about the five man band? I don't think we have in this. Of Buffy yeah. the Vampire Slayer. I don't think we have. The five yeah. man band is this kind of well established, you know, uh, format for yeah. ensemble characters. You have the hero, you have the hero's sidekick, you have the smart guy, you have the, the, the strong guy. The big guy. And there is this this role, yes. the chick. And right. I don't like it being called the chick. Which I prefer is a to call dismissive it term. The heart. The heart. Yes. Right. Yes. This is the, this is the member it is of man. the ensemble mm-hmm. character, mm-hmm. Uh, of the ensemble cast, excuse yes. me, who remains emotionally connected mm-hmm. and. and is oftentimes it's, it it's is oftentimes the emotional glue that holds the rest yes. of the team together and there's a unifying presence mm-hmm. there mm-hmm. and xander is oftentimes the heart yes of the buffy and ensemble. more and more as we move forward he fills that role and the more you make him vulnerable yeah god just the more his emotional it connectedness it's, just, it's stunning and the thing is to maintain and of course that emotional Nick Brendan doing it with all that charm right. and, oh, and presence and bringing and all that humor and everything and, to yeah. it but to maintain that emotional connectedness in in a space where emotional connectedness costs you something, when you are consumed by shame over who you are, being emotionally connected comes at a very serious cost because you can never escape that yeah. part of that emotional darkness. We've talked and about it how makes in- him more heroic being that emotional connected right. with everybody else because it requires him to stay emotionally connected with himself. Because we've talked about the importance yeah. of vulnerability, but when vulnerability is necessary and, and, and vital to strong characterization yes. anyway, but when that act of being vulnerable itself causes you pain yeah oh i mean it's, it's incredibly well yeah uh, xander becomes the hero that i know him to be yeah. starting in this episode yeah and we really are arriving at the point of inflection in the series as a whole because yeah. of course willow is the heart yes through much of the first two seasons mm-hmm. and e- even you could argue the beginning of the third season yeah but as she becomes more self-possessed as she becomes more you know the architect of her as own she future, becomes more powerful yes yeah um, she slides into a different that. role we do see that move yeah it's got Ugh, great stuff. We're, I, I really feel like we're here. I feel like with the last run of episodes. We've landed in this Gingerbread's going to be a stumble, but then we're right back to it. Well, you know, you know, we're we'll two episodes see. out from the Zappa. I remember not liking Gingerbread, but again, I associate <laughs> it with the, the monster of the week. And who knows if the who actual knows? writing of the who episode. I mean, knows? it is an Espenson. Let's talk about yes. the first evil. Let's do that. I want to frame this a little bit. I said, and, and this is actually, I think, a fairly common criticism mm-hmm. of Joss Whedon's writing, that he is theologically you know, unsophisticated. Yes. He has an interest in religion, but very little, you know, actual knowledge that he can apply. So he mishandles certain kinds of mm-hmm. particularly, you know, Catholic doctrine. Right. He adopts the symbolism and the iconography, uh, particularly yes. of Catholicism, without having a depth of understanding to mm-hmm. really kind of develop that. And sometimes it feels a little shallow and it feels a little facile, as we've said before. Yeah. The cross in Buffy is, is- Essentially, a essentially meaningless. Yeah, yeah. It's it's, mm-hmm. it's just it's a magical thing. Right. Uh, holy water. It has magical power. It has yes. paranormal power, but it does not have philosophical, religious, theological mysticism. Weight, the way or, that yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah absolutely. So here we have 
a kind of an, an expansion, mm-hmm. I guess, in the truest sense, because we have had this brief description before of the world being a pit of darkness and despair yes. prior to the coming of mortal man. You know, there was this entire, you know, demonic culture. It was nothing but demons. It was and hell evil. on earth. Right. Mm-hmm. But here we're stating something even more fundamental about the nature of the universe, mm-hmm. which is that from darkness we came, from evil we came. You know, it is it is the first evil. Mm hmm. And I like that name because of the ways that it is, you know, it, it fulfills several purposes. Yeah. It is the first evil. It is the first thing that was evil. Mm-hmm. But it is also, you know, in a sense, the first comma evil. Yes. You know, mm-hmm. it came before all other things. Mm-hmm. We are, of course, you know, we're here in the spoiler zone. So we can say that we're going to encounter the first evil through season seven. That it is yeah. going to be. And the first evil becomes very interesting to me in season seven and was never interesting to me in amends. Do you not? Knowing what you know of season seven. Yes. Do you see these two depictions of the first evil as inconsistent? I don't. I don't see them as terribly inconsistent. I feel like when I watch Amends, my understanding of the first evil as a force within the episode, as an antagonistic episodic force, I feel is weak. As a season-long force that is running alongside particular episodic narratives, I feel like it works much better in that Yeah, no, I I can see that and I do agree. My understanding of the first evil from season seven Mm -hmm. really does kind of augment and complicate my understanding of the first evil in Amends. Right, amends because, on because its they're own, compatible without the extra textual yeah. knowledge that comes like, from the powers that be, from Angel <laughs> that comes from, yeah. uh, from the first in season seven of Buffy. Um, without that, it feels really anemic to me. It feels like a very anemic villain antagonist. This episode does not hold up well. I think with the first, it's an interesting concept, but for me, it doesn't narratively punch the way that an episode. So you're not interested should. in the first evil. As a piece of, of cosmology. I, well, to a certain degree, but the, the cosmology, the philosophy doesn't carry as much weight for me as it does for you. I, I no, find sure, sure, it sure. interesting, but for me, it's it's about that narrative experience See, first. I think it's an incredibly bold choice. And, and it's not revolutionary for mm-hmm. Buffy. We've had this idea that the natural state of the universe is disorder, chaos, and evil. Yes. You know, we've confronted that. And that fits really quite beautifully yeah. with this idea that... What a good person has to do is carve, you know, stability and kindness that that your Mm -hmm. natural state is always to decline, is always to fall, is always to be corrupted. But Um, it's what you do in the process of the fight that that has meaning. I have no idea how conscious that was, Mm -hmm. but that framework in in a show that is about a superhero, you know, Mm -hmm. let's be clear, that framework allows us to appreciate and respect the quiet human heroism of Giles and Willow and Xander Mm -hmm. and Joyce and, you know, all of these peripheral characters who do very small things compared to the things that Buffy does. Right. We can appreciate, because of the nature of the universe as Mm -hmm. it's presented to us, we can appreciate their quiet heroism. So for me, the first evil works as a recognition of that. Um, I was always, and and I'm looking forward to seeing it again so that I can kind of develop a better feeling about it. I never like the invocation of the powers that be in yeah, Angel. I it is either. always so coy and like like fey. It feels and insubstantial in Angel. But then again, I gotta go back. Once I mean like my impressions of something and in my memory now, my experience of it sure, then sure, when sure, I sure, wasn't sure. really reading it from a critical point of view is gonna be different. So I feel like my experience no, of Angel is absolutely. gonna be different. But the powers that be, especially in later Angel, the way that they rested upon the powers that be, yeah. like every time they couldn't explain something, they'd be like, Oh, the powers that be you know. Um and I felt like that was a little bit cheap and <laughs> lazy. 
is yeah. a, a functional, you know, working piece of a theological mechanism, yeah. but it doesn't do anything for your narrative. Exactly, exactly. Whereas the first evil is, I, I find, find it to be, to be very pretty crunchy. crunchy. In yeah. season seven, yeah, I find it to be a pretty crunchy. Yeah, uh, and back something from season seven yeah. to this episode, I, I, I <laughs> if you kind of, of of borrow from that depiction, yeah, and and all of that motivation and all of that depth and all of that just evil, mm-hmm. and you kind of insert it into amends, and which you can do because this is still right. Yeah, you know, the only thing that bugs me about <laughs> the depiction of the first evil, and I completely get that we hadn't established it yet. Mm-hmm. That's fine. Jenny's just touching things all over the place yeah. in this episode. Yeah. Which is, uh, just don't touch things. Yeah. Just don't, because that's like one of the big things. Right, but, right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, I think that the first evil in season seven, also because the first evil actually has a goal that I understand in season seven, makes more sense to me. In this, it feels very much like the first evil is just sort of floating around and, and oh, uh, so working as an opportunistic infection. I think if you if you buy the whole framework of the powers that be having a destiny for Angel, yeah. then you can argue that this is the time at which Angel is most vulnerable. Therefore, the first evil is actually taking action against Angel specifically and consciously and purposefully. Which makes sense when you understand the entire run of Angel. But at right. this point, given what we know at this point in the storytelling, I feel like I don't it's... Know. It works I don't for feel me like well you can that. lean on that extra textual knowledge to, to buff up no, no, this no. episode. I, absolutely. You know? I think that's fair. But for me, the... The temptation of of corrupting Angel mm-hmm. and turning him back into Angelus. I mean, Angelus is clearly I a force of significant evil. I find that moment interesting within the whole arc. Yeah. But independently, it doesn't work that well for me. Yeah, it, yeah, it works a little better for me. Which, but, you know, I mean, I can completely see that. still, you but know. the first evil is going to be, first is evil going is to be a lot of fun. And we're going thing. to see some Harbingers yeah. again. We're going to. Yeah, uh, the Harbingers are creepy as hell. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's a great piece of, of character. It's, it's a really, um, and we're going to use that to much, much greater effect when we get to season seven. Yes. Uh, and never talk about the first again until we get to season seven. Yeah, which I love. It's going to be real interesting. Because when we get to season seven. I don't, <laughs> you know, we were talking about Faith in the Slow Burn. Yeah. You know, she, she's kind of, her story is moving even when she's not visible. Yeah. When we get to season seven and the first storyline really emerges. Yeah. I, I find it completely convincing and consistent. Yeah. That it's just been laying low for all these years. It's been laying low for four years, gathering its forces, uh-huh. you know, recruiting Caleb. Yeah. Uh, going through all these. these Because the first has been around forever. It's yeah. got patience. It's, it's immortal. It's yeah. got all, literally all, all the, the time, time in the world. world. <laughs> <laughs> so that works for me really, really yeah. quite well. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'm looking forward to it. I okay. can't wait. You and I are very positive on season seven, I think, right? Yeah, more so than a lot of people. A lot of people didn't like season seven. A I loved people, season seven. A lot of people get pushed out into season five. Yeah. Um, I don't know of anyone who likes season six and doesn't like season seven. I feel like there yeah. is a tonal shift. Yeah, there five is. And six. Well, that's when we switched networks. That's yeah, when yeah, yeah. I mean a lot of stuff was going on behind the scenes. But um, but yeah, I mean I actually I like season six. I'm not as hot on season six as I am on seven. Uh, three, five, and seven are my favorites. But six still has. There's some fabulous of the high points six. of Buffy. I think I, I'm going to enjoy six more. There's a strong argument that the highest points are in season six. Season, and some of the lowest <laughs> points are in season six. I, no, certainly true. Certainly uh, yeah, true. Kitten poker. Can't get over that. Can't get over kitten poker. You know, there are people out there who love the kitten it's poker. It's a world breaker. But anyway, in general. this has run we'll off so this. long. Yes, Thank you, everybody, really for this is continuing to listen. Because there's real interesting stuff to talk about. It's, it's one of my favorites. And yeah. still quietly, privately for me. Amanda's number one number you can one. go ahead and put it number one be, in your it, own well, personal it, i don't even think it'll make it to the end of the season in that nah. number one spot but it's always going to have a special place in my heart because of what it does philosophically it's, it's in the buffy verse got some good stuff I going on it. and by 
God, that Whedon can write, can't he? He sure can. Guys, thank you so much for listening. We will be back next week with Gingerbread. Hopefully a shorter show. I would imagine much shorter, yes. We'll see you soon.